does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Well, the future is very bright. Uh, I think one of the really interesting things about our two years, you know, we had to we had to get worse to get better. Um, but in year two, you know, we we still have the opportunity to have great momentum headed into our draft and our summer and our free agency and all that kind of stuff. Um, and these guys are young and they're going to continue to get better. So, uh, and look, Isaiah's young, Chris Duarte's young, you know. Jalen Smith is young. We, we've got a lot of younger guys still. Jordan Wars, he's you know in his early 20s. Um, there's a, there's a lot to build on here, um, but we've just got to keep doing it the right way, and we can't skip any steps. It's an amazing fan base, as I know very very well, uh, from being an assistant coach with Larry Bird back when we went on a run to the finals in our third year to uh, my second stint, which was as a head coach in the early 2000s. Um, you know where we got to the conference finals in, in year one, and uh, you know I know I know what Gamebridge Fieldhouse could feel like. Um, last year was was a down year. We had a lot of empty seats, but we've gone, we've gone a long way, um, and this team has gone a long way toward winning our fan base back, and that's been evident in just about every game. I you know um, I expect uh, you know these last couple games to be. Uh, to be loud and, and for the support to be there. And, and we're really happy, you know, to see our fans back in there. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Obviously comments of Rick Carlisle right there as he's talking about the young Pacers. We'll get to the uh, tank standings here momentarily. I do like the music underneath. Very nice. I don't know if the YouTube audience heard it. Not quite sure. Not uh, Slayer would work next time, Eddie Garrison. I think... Um, <laughs> Maybe some Lamb of God, nice touch. Uh, but it worked. It worked with what you went with. A little kind of like a, a happy hip-hop, if I could say so. What do you think, Jimmy? Is that what you would describe it as? It felt kind of locked in, like like, like type of pregame underbed you'd find before a playoff game on on uh, NBA Countdown. I, I was I was I was head bobbing a little bit. It was nice. I liked it. Was, it. It's like a little uh, NBA.com top ten list. Yeah, yeah. You could throw that in there. Yeah, sort of. Right, yes, like that sort of feel to it. Yep. By the way, how about our guy Trace Jackson Davis, <laughs> who was on the show yesterday? Shout out to him. It was a pleasure. A lot of fun to talk to him. And I asked him, I'm like, Hey, TJD, don't let me put you in an awkward spot but uh there's speculation that you might turn pro they're gonna be an announcement anytime soon and he's like yeah probably the next two or three days well that turned out to be about 30 minutes after the show jimmy (laughs) he broke it on twitter he's turning pro hey look as as nice as 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 tjd could have been to to break that action for us live on 107.5 the fan you could tell and i told this off air the way that he hesitated for a second with your question at first i thought it was oh you set it up like i know this is kind of awkward but hey what do you think you're doing Mm -hmm. and then the way he's kind of like oh yeah probably the next couple days or so and i thought it'd be (laughs) like today like first thing you woke up today it's like oh yeah he was keeping him close to the chest did not have half hour after the show ended on the bingo card but uh, all the same (laughs) congratulations to trace jackson davis very excited for him and looking forward to see a fellow hoosier uh, excel at the next level you know, now here's best case and worst case scenario, okay? Best case scenario would have been TJD saying, you know what, Brian? Now's as good a time as ever. 
I'd like to announce that I'm turning pro. And that would have been pretty cool. Now, this is worst-case scenario. This would be on the uh, Kevin and Query morning show, uh, how it was announced by Jake Query. Check this out. Trace Jackson Davis did join the midday show here on The Fan with Dane Fife and Brian Noy and talked about exactly that question of can he shoot the basketball? Yeah, I don't know if you, uh, if you caught it right there, but let's listen very carefully here. Dane Fife and Brian Noy. Brian Noy is uh, what, how I've been... Uh, now my name has been mispronounced by, uh, I'm going to call him Jake Quarry now is what I'm going to do. You ever jump into a rock quarry? You ever do that? They had one at Ball State, the rock quarry. I used to do that. We'd measured it one time. It was about 55 feet. The big jump, smaller jumps about, I don't know, 35, 40 feet or so, something like that. We used to go to the rock quarry. He's Jake Quarry right now until he gets no right. Huh? How about that? Fair is fair over here on the fan. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I, I suppose fair is fair. I, I, I guess Noy. I'm going to read it as the noise show now. I don't know when, I, when it's on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, have have you guys ever had a had a formal introduction? You know, I mean, there's no nothing to fall back on. Logistically speaking, obviously, we we, we have you uh, up north of the state, so we only see each other when you're in studio. And I understand it's not completely in your control, but it happens, right? It happens. Um, I I'm mean, not joining does. the Jake Quarry way is what I'm trying to say. He's, yet, know, to, he's yet to say Jimmy Coke, so I'm not, yeah. uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not I in mean, that listen, camp. If you're unprofessional and sloppy, yeah, I guess it could happen. It could happen to anybody, that sort of thing. That's the funny thing is Jake is basically a thespian. That guy is articulate. Like he's Jake sound. is a pro's pro. He is a pro's pro, except when it comes to me is basically how it turns out here. Brian Noy. <laughs> Maybe what are the chances? Let's consider this. What if he just says "noy" instead of "no"? What what if this is sort of a, you know, if it's like, "Hey, uh, sir, would you like um, bacon and cheese on your baked potato?" And he's like, "Noy, noy, thank you." You know, maybe th- is that a possibility? Or now we're scratching that off the list. I mean, there's no there's no e at the end of of no, <laughs> like in, in in that language context of where you're telling the waiter, "Hey, I'm good, buddy. I'm just trying to enjoy my drink. Thanks for stopping by the table." <laughs> Brian Noy. You know, the only history I have with Jake Quarry is um, when I was, I first got to Indianapolis. This is a while ago. This was like 2014. I lived in Indy from about like 2014, 2015, about two years because I was doing, back in those days, I was working for Fox Sports Radio and uh, I had to go into the, the studio. So it was the Fox affiliate, right? It was 1260. So I'd go into the studio there. And that's how I know Schultze a little bit. And uh, I never have, it's weird, I've never met Jake Quarry in, in person. Um, I've never met him in person. But we we traded messages where it's like, hey, man, we should grab some food sometime. And we never got around to it. But no, of all these years, like we've worked in the same building, you know, for a while where I would go in and do my weekend stuff. But I would never cross paths with him physically and now just filling in here on the fan. I've never bumped into him. I've never met the guy in person, uh, which is maybe why he pronounces it this way. Brian Noy. You know, I think a formal introduction would help. I think it would help there, Jimmy. Maybe you can broker a deal or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll do what I can. Um, I, I love that we have we have 
even if it's jokingly dukes up on both sides for that introduction. That's that's nice now because we have one name that's butchered accidentally uh-huh. and one name that's butchered intentionally. It's a great it's a great way to start the show on a Wednesday. Here I am excited for the par three to start for the Masters at Augusta and a Yankees Phillies 105 first pitch, and instead we have name confusion across uh, the fan airways. <laughs> what a day! What a day! What a, what a great kumbaya moment to start off the festivities here. Are you fired up for the Masters, Jimmy? You feel you strike me as a guy who's just about to geek out tomorrow. And I'm not talking smack. I'm just saying nope. it's your, your go-to zone, I'm feeling. It here. is one of the best four-day stretches of sports the entire calendar year. And on top of that, and uh, this is not like, you know, whether you are a man of faith or you're not a person of faith, regardless, I know that Brian and I are. So as a, as a Catholic individual, someone that's raised Catholic, whenever the stars would align, like what happens this weekend, Easter Sunday at Augusta, oh, 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 baby, you got the brunch spread, you got the family and friends over, and you have some exciting, hopefully, drama towards Amen Corner on a Sunday. It's 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 a perfect thing. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I very much geek out about it. It's a great time. That's great, man. I feel your excitement level here. The greatest compliment I can give a sports fan is whatever team they root for, based on their passion, they make me more interested in it. You know, I think that's one of the highest compliments I can give. I worked in Fresno years ago. There was a buddy of mine, huge Michigan State fan. I don't care about Michigan State at all. But because he did, I was more interested in Michigan State. So I care about the Masters, don't get me wrong. But you, Jimmy Cook, with your youthful exuberance over <laughs> I'm even more invested. And you bring up Easter Sunday, which is beautiful because I can now have, like, non-water. Like, I, I give up... <laughs> Everything drinking-wise but water during Lent. So Mountain Dew will be on tap. I might go get a cookies and cream milkshake. I'm going to go nuts on Sunday, Jimmy. Not to get too much in the weeds, but when you told me that when we did the St. Patrick's Day show from Bottle Works, I was was shocked because, like, a lot of people, they'll pick something like, oh, I'm not going to have Coke, but I'm going to, you know, have Pepsi instead for Lent. Like, they'll circumvent it in a way (laughs) to just go across the board with, yeah, you know what? Only water for me. Mad, mad respect. Tip of the cap uh, to you, good sir. You know, thank you. And I'll, I'll come clean here because this was years ago. I was working in Albany, New York, and uh, I gave up soda. But I had like this huge jug of Hawaiian punch. <laughs> and one of my friends is like, dude, do you realize how much sugar is in that? You're, you're not really giving up anything of great note here. And that's when I had to switch it to Water only in terms of what I drank. So, yeah, that's been my go-to. How about the weather at the Masters? You seen the forecast here? So, 85 degrees tomorrow, about a 55% chance of rain. Listen to Friday and Saturday. So, 68 degrees. Rain possibility, 97%. The next day, Saturday, 55 degrees. 96 percent chance of rain that that's a high percentage jimmy i think we're gonna get some uh rain delays and some weirdness this weekend look as long as it gets completed on sunday that's all that matters to me right like as long as the the rain isn't able to totally derail the tournament to a point that like i don't know i'll I'll be honest i get hyped for it but i'm never a good historian across the world of sports so I, i don't know uncharted territory of weathers impacting the masters but as long as we're able to get everything done on sunday uh Rain or shine. I'm looking forward to it all the same. But yeah, ugly forecast. You're right. Yeah, very ugly. I'm telling you what, Jimmy, outside 
the place here in South Bend, there is, I'm not even joking, it sounds like a woodpecker on steroids. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Like There's there's a little fireplace over, right in front of me, and outside it's either a, a crow, woodpecker, something is going nuts out there. Sounds like a jackhammer. I thought you were going to say that the wind was so aggressive where you were that it sounds like a woodpecker or something's banging on the wood. Not a literal creature is, is trying yeah. to come in and... and- Infest your home. Yeah, a creature is stirring. It's basically <laughs> what's going on here. Brian Known, Jimmy Cook with you here. 93.5, 107.5, the fan. I was given some thought about the NFL draft before the show here. It's giving some thought to this. And we were talking about, do the Colts stay at number four? Do they look to move up to number three? By the way, we will talk to Josh Weinfuss. He covers the Arizona Cardinals for The Athletic. We'll talk to him at 2.30 today to think about, hey, what are the Cards thinking with this number three pick? Are they likely to trade it? Would they hope that it'd be a deal with the Colts? I think they would because they could st- stay there at number four and you know that'd be great for them. But think about it like this. For the Colts, from the Colts' perspective, Jimmy, um, if you look at... I believe the Colts should stay pat at number four. If Will the Thrill Levis is their guy, stay at number four. Don't move up because the chances of some other team leapfrogging you to grab Will Levis, those chances are not as high as a team leapfrogging you to get Anthony Richardson. I think that you take a calculated risk. You roll the dice over here. Even though you're enthralled with Will the Thrill Levis, I think you keep a second and a third round pick, whatever it would take to move up that one spot. And that's where it comes to this, Jimmy. Here's the question. This is a possible scenario. It's not set in stone, but it's quite possible. Would you rather have Anthony Richardson at number three while the Colts trade second and third round picks somewhere in that ballpark? Okay, let's just say second and third round picks. Anthony Richardson at three, giving up second and third round picks, or will the Thrill Levis at number four while keeping Second and third round picks. That could absolutely be a thing. I just want to clarify the terms of this so I'm not dodging the question. There is no other option where they don't take Will the Thrill Levis. It's either Levis at four standing pat or trading up to get Richardson. Well, it's just something to consider because let's play this out. It's possible that nobody leapfrogs the Colts and Arizona stays there and they take a defensive guy at number three. And then you wouldn't have to give up anything in a trade, you would just either draft Anthony Richardson or Will the Thrill Levis yep. should those quarterbacks be on the board. So it's not a certainty that you'd have to trade up to get Anthony Richardson. But let's just play that out. It's something to consider if you're worried about a team leapfrogging you for Anthony Richardson. I would have more fear. I think you might agree with this, Jimmy. It feels like if a team is to leapfrog the Colts to number three, It's for Anthony Richardson, not Will Levis. So if the Colts are like, Anthony Richardson is the guy, I think it's more likely that they would feel compelled to move up to number three. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. You look at all the rumor mills, all the reports, all the mock drafts that are being simulated, and the common theme of a trade-up scenario 2-3 is not Will Levis off the board. It is Anthony Richardson. Now, you and I did this same exercise to an extent when we were discussing what it would look like for the Colts to trade up to one before the Panthers beat them to the punch and gave an offer Chicago couldn't refuse. And I told you at the time, if I am the general manager of this club, if I truly believe that my guy is going to change the franchise and I want to ensure I can go get him, 
I am trading up to number one. Now, I also said that with the thought that it is Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud are that guy for you. I don't feel the same way as passionately about Anthony Richardson and Will Levis that I'm willing to give up draft capital to get it done. By all means, if Chris Ballard believes in Anthony Richardson or if he believes in Will Levis and he thinks that the only way to ensure he gets them is to give up a second and third rounder, take a swing at some point. You know what? I'm not going to rip you that much for doing it. I wouldn't do it because I don't know that I have full belief in either Richardson or Levis that they are going to succeed at the high level the Colts want them to succeed. Well, and here's the thing. It could break a lot of different ways. We're just penciling in. Some people are writing it in pen that the first two picks are C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Well, let's just say that's not the case. Let's just say C.J. Stroud goes number one, and here come the crazy, let's risk it, uh, no risk it, no biscuit, Houston Texans. They channel their inner Bruce Arians, right? (laughs) And they say, let's go with the guy that has, in our opinion, the highest ceiling in this entire draft. Let's go with Anthony Richardson. He seems a lot more sturdy than the Smurf Bryce Young. Let's go with a Rich, huh? Well, that changes everything if that's the case. So we don't know exactly how it's going to play out one-two, We're assuming it's Stroud and Young. That doesn't mean it's set in stone. So let's leave the door cracked that it could break a couple of which ways. But I do think this also. Let's just say it's Stroud, Young, top two picks. If you're looking at the Colts at number four, this isn't just a mock draft thing where you read Todd McShay and you read Mel Kuyper Jr., read all these guys. It's not just the mock drafts because – sometimes in actuality it plays out much differently than the mock drafts have it. But – I think that this year's draft rivals the Trey Lance draft (laughs) where you think about the Niners. They moved up to the number three spot and you heard you can't move up to number three to draft Mac Jones. It's got to be for a guy with tools, the guy with the high ceiling, Trey Lance, you know, and that's what the 49ers did. So I think of that. It's put the mock drafts to the side. What would the Raiders would they move up from 7-3 to three for Will Levis? Probably not. Just how they view it. I think if a team jumps up and gives up all that draft capital, I think it's going to be specifically for a guy that, in their opinion, has the higher ceiling. And we're talking about tools and the wow factor. Anthony Richardson has it. So I am. I would be willing to bet a ton here that if a team does leapfrog the Colts, yeah and it's Richardson and Levis on the board, it's going to be to draft Richardson. Well, and I'm going to bring the mocks back into the forefront to an extent, and I'm very excited, as I've stressed to you a couple times, because next week, and then we're going to have them on the show at some point in the coming weeks, but Dane Brugler of The Athletic does one of my favorite mock drafts across the board because he takes into account, like it's not where he thinks teams are going to take, it's what he's hearing from scouts, what he's hearing from GMs, what he's hearing from front office execs, and I just like to have his take of everything into account It's a long-winded way of me saying that so far, the other mocks that are out there, like you mentioned, the McShays of the world, uh, the Kuypers of the world, when you have, actually Kuyper might not be in this example, but you have teams trading up to your point. It is Anthony Richardson that's being taken. And not only that, it is a, there's been a couple where it's a free fall for Will Levis, even with the Colts at four, there's been, are they actually going to take him? And there were those reports a couple days ago that they're really interested in Will Levis and he's been their guy or not their guy, but he's been one of their top prospects that they're looking at. How much of that is smokescreen? How much is not your overall point though rings true. No one, at least reportedly 
is going to trade up to three to go take Levis. So if that is the Colts guy, yeah, I think you can pretty comfortably sit pat and be fine. Right? I, I think it makes a whole lot more sense to risk it. You know me. I think Will the, Lev- Will the Thrill Levis is going to be a difference maker in the NFL. I, Time the will tell if that's correct yes. or not. Yep. Yeah, yep. You know. Can't find that anywhere else but here. But yeah. yes, yes, I, and, I've gathered that. And it <laughs> might send the message. Like I could see somebody hearing me say this and say, Brian Noy, you know, <laughs> at least that's what uh, Jake Quarry would be saying. Brian yeah. Noy. Yeah, he, he, he like, Brian, you know, if this is the guy, if this guy is going to be a franchise uh, quarterback, a difference maker. Why on earth are you willing to gamble that some other team might take him ahead of you at number three? Because I think the odds are overwhelmingly in my favor. You know what I mean? Like, if we're sitting at the poker table, you could come up with a scenario where, yeah, it's a gamble based on we're playing Texas Hold'em. It's a gamble to, like, let this other. You know, this guy sitting across me, see the fifth card, see the river. Like, it's a gamble. He might hit his, you know, two-outer, right? Like, he might make his flush or whatever. So it's a gamble, but I'm going to make way more cash if I let him see that fifth card. You know what I mean? Like, it's a gamble, but the odds are in my favor overwhelmingly. So that's just the gambler in me. Some might look at that and say, that's crazy. You think this guy is a franchise-altering difference maker, and you're willing to gamble that somebody else is going to take him? Yeah, absolutely, because the odds are overwhelmingly in my favor that another team doesn't take him, and I can surround him with a second and a third-round pick down the road? That could be a big, big deal to help his development. We want to have him with uh, more talent than he had at Kentucky, yes. right? We don't, we don't want the Kentucky of the NFL here in Indianapolis if you've got Will the Thrill. So, yeah, I'm willing to take a calculated risk. And the other part of this is I don't care how it looks, Jimmy, right? Like, you'll hear this. Let's say another team leapfrogs the Colts, takes a QB at three. So you got four quarterbacks off the board in succession, and the Colts end up with Will the Thrill Levis. A lot of people will look at that and say, man, you settled. What are you doing? Why didn't you move up to three and get a guy with a higher ceiling and Anthony Richardson, yada, yada, yada. I don't care how it would look. I just know that I have a second and a third round pick in my back pocket. And if the Colts see it the way I do, they got their guy anyway. So I don't care what the speculation, perception, anything like that is. I got the guy I wanted, and I kept my second and third round picks. That's win-win for us. Look, I have a weird makeup here within my, my my talk show host personality because I do like the human interest story and the human interest element of things. So on the one hand with all this, like any prospect in this draft, Young, Stroud, Richardson, Levis, at all in one point in time were young boys in the backyard dreaming of being in the NFL. So I, I want the utmost success for all four of these guys. I do. That being said, like I'm agreeing with you that if that's the Colts' plan is they really like Will Levis and the consensus is no one's going to trade up to get him, stand pat. I totally agree with you with that strategy. That being said, I would rather have Richardson, but I don't like Richardson or Levis enough to trade up. So I'm in the same boat with you, but I'm not handcuffed at the wrist with you that I think that Will Levis is the right quarterback to take there. I'm just agreeing with you if, with the hypothesis that, hey, Colts want Levis. No one's going to trade up for Levis. Stand pat at four. Surround him with more weapons with the picks you'd be pocketing. That all makes sense to me. I just really don't want them to take Will the throw Levis. I don't. I'd rather have Richardson. You know, here's the interesting part. Uh, which, uh, which do the Colts get more backlash for, right? Is it 
Hey, uh, Arizona, nobody trades up to number three. Arizona takes a defensive guy. Colts have their pick between Richardson and Levis. They take Levis. So that's scenario one. Yeah. Scenario two is a team does leapfrog the Colts. That team takes Richardson at three. Colts draft Levis at four. Right? Which do they get more flack for? In my mind, it's both are there and they choose <laughs> Levis and Richardson pans out as the better quarterback. I think well, I think in the immediate it's probably the trade up because there's gonna be backlash, Brian. You've talked about it. Whether the whether the sheep, as you have have, <laughs> have so aggressively called some of the anti Wool Levis camp, which again is is a fair point, but those people are going to be mad. There's going to be a subsection of the fan base that have it set in stone. They don't want this guy. So you're going to have more immediate anger, I think, regardless. But to me, it's if they're both there, you choose Levis. And okay, you have your immediate rage. But then when you look at two, three years down the line, if it's clear that Richardson was the better option... That's where the more long-term frustration and anger and jobs lost are probably going to occur. Yeah, well, yeah. If look, if Richardson pans out and Levis doesn't, I mean, let's just suspend reality for a second here. You know, like uh, let's, let's just say that's the case. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And let's the get Colts, into a fantasy world real quick. Yeah, yeah. Let's go like strictly Avengers. You know that yeah. whole thing. Um, yeah, of course the Colts would get blasted for that, but they'd get blasted either way. I think it's like. The reaction of draft night, if Richardson and Levis are both there at four and they take Levis, there are going to be a lot of people saying, what are we doing? They would be wrong. But in the moment, they would say, what are we doing right now? Yada, yada. And and they would get called out also if, let's, I don't know, the Raiders, some other team. I keep on using the Raiders. There are a number of teams in the top ten that need a quarterback that could be trade candidates that might move up, do something bold, get the number three overall pick. The Colts would look like, oh, you got beaten to the punch you had the Raiders go from seven to three, right. and you couldn't go from four to three. Then you end up with Levis. You're just stuck with Levis over there as the last of the top four prospects. Like there would be a lot of backlash for that too. To flip the conversation a bit, since it's pretty clear I'm Team Richardson, you're Team Levis in this scenario. Uh-huh. If they go the other way and both are available, and they take Richardson, would would you have backlash towards the organization for doing it? I would. Okay. Yeah. I absolutely would. I think that Levis will be the better pro. Again, that is just a projection. Yeah, that yeah. is years from now sure. we'll get answers to that. But yeah, I think, look, Richardson has these uh, these enticing qualities. I, I would say like this. Um, this is a comparison off the top of my head, so give me a little grace. It might not be, you know, gold. Okay, but it would be like one of these things. It'd be like like a supermodel, Right. You see the supermodel, and don't get me wrong, some supermodels are more than just their looks. They've got the whole package, right? But Richardson, to me, is like this supermodel, and there are some red flags. There's some red flags, like uh, this supermodel's a little selfish, a little too uh, me, me, me. I'm not saying Richardson is like this at all, because he's the opposite of that. Sounds like you're describing the other prospect based on some of the flag that he's gotten over the last couple weeks. Just follow me on this, all right? The the supermodel's got some red flags, okay? Maybe... um, uh, I don't know, uh, a little selfish, um, uh, not, 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 uh, not a great partner, right? Sure. Okay, right. Like, but you still go through with it. So 
I see that with Richardson, where he's got this supermodel like wow factor of like, whoa, desirable. But then you start looking a little closer and you're like, only 13 starts, less than 400 passes last season, doesn't have a whole lot of reps. I don't know if the tools and the upside are going to be realized at the NFL level. Like, that's the thing that I see. And hey, look, man, hopefully. He will realize all of his potential because if he does, he's going to be something truly special in the NFL. It's just hard to do that at this level. It's going to take years for him to finally like uncork his true potential. I don't know that he ever will. That's how I see A. Rich. And I, even though the accuracy isn't as present with Will Levis, take everything aside, just just the quarterback that they are, I feel the same way with Levis. I don't think it's going to be an instantaneous unlock, but the same reason that you and I are backing both these quarterbacks, at least I would think, maybe maybe you don't view this coaching staff the same way that it's perceived right now, but the reason I would lean on Richard Sennett if I was in Levis's camp, why I would lean on Levis is Shane Steichen has a good track record of getting the most out of quarterbacks in a wide variety of different styles. So we talk about good fit. For either of these prospects, I feel like the maybe not the best fit, but one of the best fits you could hope for in terms of a coaching staff that understands how to work with quarterbacks, that is here in Indianapolis. The weapons might not be there right now. That has to follow through with Chris Boward, but I think it's a good spot to grow if you're a young QB. You know, coming up next, we got to get to this, Jimmy, because you bring up Steichen. I think that's interesting. Does Steichen get too much credit? I think that's something we got to dive into. We got the tank uh, standings here coming up. Interesting movement. Three-way tie in the tank standings involving the Pacers. So we got that along the way as well. Uh, One o'clock, we'll talk more Colts with James Boyd. Covers the team for The Athletic. Lots to do over here. Keep it locked on Brian No, a.k.a. Brian Noy, apparently. Here, you know. Brian Noy. And he's he's Jimmy Cook. Can't screw up that name. Here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Shout out Def Leppard drummer that was, I think he was in a car accident, Jimmy? I'm not sure, but one arm and continued his drumming career. A lot of pedals going on over there. That's that's dedication right there. That is. Uh, What is it? Uh, Have you ever seen the movie American Hustle? With Christian Bale, De Niro has a small role in that. Saw it when it came out in the theaters. Don't really remember a ton of it. But oh, yes, I think Jennifer Lawrence in that, if not mistaken, yep, as well. Yep. Bradley she does Cooper. a great job. Yeah, Amy Adams. Yep. I think underrated movie. People talk trash about that movie, but... I enjoyed it. I just don't... It's been since it came out, so like eight or nine years, and I don't have a true memory of there's it. There's a line from uh, Christian Bale in that movie where he said, Necessity is the mother of all invention. And that would apply to Def Leppard's drummer, right? If you're a drummer and you lose an arm, uh, shout out. Is this uh, Tony Kenning, I believe, is the drummer? I, I, I'm i not sure. Let me let me double check if that's the case or not. It's either Rick Allen or uh, Tony Kenning. I'm not quite sure. But uh, uh, the guy lost an arm, I believe, in a car wreck. Crazy. But kept his his uh, career going. And the, the band stuck with the guy. 
You know, think about that, Jimmy, where he's got all these pedals on the ground. He's kind of using pedals to do what his second arm would do. And it took him a while. He's not going to pick it up just on a Tuesday. You know, it's going to take some time to get the <laughs> hang of that. And the band stuck with him through all that. It's an awesome story. That the dedication you admire. And then on top of that, to your point, the idea of being a part of whether you're a group or a team, whatever the case may be. And they still stand behind you through something like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay. So Shane Steichen, overrated? You know, like let's dive into this. So I, I hear this all the time. And you got to give him credit because he's had success with a lot of different stylistic quarterbacks, right? So if you look at Phillip Rivers compared to Jalen Hurts, very, very different stylistically. And then you have Justin Herbert as well. So Shane Steichen has gotten rave reviews, and I hope that he's uh, an awesome head coach with the Colts, and I hope that he is a minor miracle worker with whoever they draft at number four or number three, right? But let's just pause that for a second and look a little bit more critically. Phillip Rivers... Has had a, a distinguished NFL career. A lot of success before Shane Steichen got there, right? Yeah. Okay. We also have Justin Herbert. Been outstanding in his NFL career. Okay. But Hit was the there from, running. But was there from Jump Street, though. That, that, I think okay. that is an important nugget. Important nugget. Fine. Was there from Jump Street. But Justin Herbert has been special in the NFL. He has indeed. Was good last year when Steichen was in Philly, right? It's yes. not like he crumbled into... You know, fairy dust or anything like that. He's still been very, very good. And Jalen Hurts, yes, he ascended last season. That was for sure his breakout season. Steichen does deserve some credit for that, for sure. But how much of this is Steichen? How much of this is, well, hey, Phillip Rivers, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, those guys are all just good quarterbacks, you know? It's the never-ending debate throughout the history of sport of how much does the coach, the staff around him matter and how much of it is the player broke through and now makes the coach slash staff look better than they are. And and it's a fair argument. I would point to in Steichen's case why I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt and I'll take Rivers off the board because that's fair, albeit he did see a little bit of a resurgence, if I'm not mistaken, that season and then obviously had a great year, uh, the year that he was here in Indianapolis when a lot of people, myself included, thought that this was going to be a very, very ugly campaign and they made the playoffs and he, he looked sharp, looked like he could have gone another year or two. With Herbert, again, he has continued to show post-Steichen that he's still a high-level quarterback. How much credit does he really deserve there? The quarterback has to come in and start his first game because a doctor uh, makes a shot in the ribs of Tyrod Taylor, <laughs> and this youngster is forced to be starting his first NFL game. Again, he shows the tools. The Chargers want an extension for him, but I think that Steichen and company there helped guide him through that process. The last one of Jalen Hurts is the biggest, are we giving too much there? Because on the one hand, Jalen Hurts' first year, you kind of throw it off of the board, right? You've got to really start in 2021 where he plays in all, or he plays in 15 games, uh, throws for 3,000 yards, 16 touchdowns, nine picks. But still, the Eagles were at a point where, if you remember, Brian, the rumor mill was, is this guy really a franchise quarterback? Should they go and get somebody in the 2022 draft? Like, do they really need to build their future around Jalen Hurts? And then he has that breakout campaign in 2022. How much of it is Sirianni? How much of it was Steichen? That's a fair conversation for debate. I like to lean towards he had enough of a hand where, at least for your rookie quarterback, he can help mold you. The player has to have some tools, though. It can't just be all the coach. I think what we got to do here 
is we've got to be aware of the hope factor. You know what I mean? Where it's the hope that kills you. Yeah. You know, Shane Steichen is here in Indianapolis. Colts fans are hopeful. Very much so. Right? And so I think you have to check your hope at the door <laughs> or at least be aware <laughs> of how much hope is impacting your analysis. Right? Like, I, I, for anybody. Um, because we're hopeful that Steichen can get whoever the Colts rookie quarterback is going to be up to snuff real fast and be very successful and all of that. But what if instead of getting the Colts job, he's the Arizona Cardinals head coach? You know what I mean? Like, are we looking him as Colts fans the same way and saying, hey, man, when Kyler Murray is healthy from his torn ACL, look out, baby. Kyler Murray, he's going to be the best version of himself. Just look at what Shane Steichen has done with Rivers, Herbert, Jalen Hurts. I, I don't know that Colts fans are saying that. But because Shane Steichen is in Indianapolis, that's how it's looked at. I don't know if that's the way it's going to play out in actuality. I'm just saying it's possible. Let's take another example. Look at Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, okay? Those guys with Tom Brady looked amazing. Yeah. Without Tom Brady, Bill Belichick with Mac Jones, not as good. You know, Josh McDaniels when he's still with the Patriots with Mac Jones, not as good. But now that Josh McDaniels is in Vegas... Derek Carr last season, eh, well, left a lot to be desired. Do you think he's going to work miracles with Jimmy Garoppolo? No, right? Like, So a lot of it is not just what you do as a coach. It's also the talent level of who you're coaching. It's a balance between those Correct. two things. And I think Shane Steichen has gotten more credit, not to say he deserves none, but I think he's gotten more credit than he actually deserves I think more of it should go toward those players being good quarterbacks than Steichen. It's not like he took like Zach uh, Wilson from the Jets and all of a sudden, boom, he's a top 10 sure. guy. You know, Those are all three very good quarterbacks. And that's kind of how I started the conversation, right? You look at it, uh, Phil Jackson and MJ, Phil Jackson and Kobe, uh, just looking at the NBA route for a second. And then World of the NFL, you already mentioned Belichick and Brady. A lot of people, I mean, I still think that Belichick and Andy Reid are two of the greatest minds in the history of the modern game. Mm -hmm. But both of their success can be attributed to generational quarterbacks being in their arsenal. I still think it matters. Like you said, it's a give and take. And that it's it's not a bad argument because right now flowers are being thrown because right. there's no quarterback under center, right? There, Minshew's there. Minshew probably starts week one in my mind unless the yet-to-be-drafted quarterback blows him out of the water in training camp and they think, yeah, this guy's ready to go. But that's all fans can do right now, right? Mm -hmm. Is put the flowers on, look at what he's done in the past. But if they don't meet halfway, and this is life in sports, if they draft the wrong guy and he isn't fixable, like this whole oh, quarterback whisper thing that you hear in the NFL, it's mm -hmm. nice to think about, but it has a ceiling depending on the gifts and the ability of the quarterback you have under center. Absolutely. We'll use your Chiefs as an example, right? Look at Andy Reid. What he did with Alex Smith, he got Alex Smith to be, I would argue, the best version of himself yes. when he led the league in passer rating one year. Yep. But it's not like... He bumped him up to a Mahomes level because no. he's just not that kind of guy. There was who, a clear ceiling. Yes. Right, yeah. So I think it's like this. I mentioned this in sports radio from time to time. If uh, like these different markets or different places in the U.S., some places are huge into sports. Other places, not so much. So if your interest level in sports in, say, New York City 
is at a nine, right? Collectively, I, I can bump you up to a 10. If we're in Portland, Oregon, and your interest level in sports is about a four, I'm not bumping you up to a 10. Yeah. No one is. And so that's the way it works with quarterbacks also. Can Shane Steichen take Philip Rivers or Justin Herbert, who are like nines, and bump them up to tens? Yeah. Can he take a rookie quarterback who turns out to be a four and bump him up to a 10? No. And that's what we're getting at is he can make a difference, but to make it seem like he can make all the difference in the world, no coach can do that. And that's why I lean, again, this is me throwing flowers at, at Steichen's feet right now. Like I, I won't lie because there's nothing else you can base it on. You can't base it on the quarterback that's not here. But I look at what happened with Jalen Hurts from his second year to his third year. And that's the kind of realistic window for most quarterbacks you're looking at before, wow, this guy might be something that pops in his greatness. Sometimes you set the league on fire, but for the most part, it's a two to three year process of really gelling into, okay, this is how the NFL life works. I'm ready to be a top figure in this sport. Steichen and Sirianni deserve credit for the leap that Hurts had, but... Was it in Hurts all along, and it really just took that third season to come about? It, it it remains to be seen. If you don't have a certain level of characteristics or talent, you're only going to go as far as right. your coach can guide you, which that's a great example. Yeah, yeah, you can't make sports fans or non-sports fans at the diehard watching every single game of a baseball season if they don't really care about baseball. Right, and I think uh, Brian Dable is a great example of this. So Brian Dable, when he was with the Bills, had a lot of success as the offensive coordinator with Josh Allen, yep. the quarterback. And he made a big difference with Josh Allen. And now Josh Allen's a top five quarterback easily in the NFL. And if you look at Danny Jones, Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes over at the Giants, right? He made a big difference with Danny Daniel Jones. But 15 touchdowns, five picks. You know what I mean? Those are not Josh Allen type numbers. Yep. So he took Josh Allen, who was probably about an eight, well, maybe a, a six in the first capped. couple of years, and he bumped him up a couple of notches. He's taken Daniel Jones and bumped him up a couple of notches, yep. but Daniel Jones is not on the level of Josh Allen. That's the difference, right? That's the difference yep. in talent between those two quarterbacks. And even though the coach has gotten the best version out of both of those guys, there still is clear separation. And that's the point when it comes to the Colts quarterback. You might have Shane Steichen, based on his track record, he might be able to bump that guy up a couple of notches, but if he's at a four or a five, bro, we're in trouble. That's the bottom line. Like You look at the Giants, and I I really like Brian Dable, but the success that that market demands, like I get it, you see Daniel Jones, you think, okay, maybe franchise quarterback. Daniel Jones is good enough to start in the NFL. He's not good enough in my mind to be in that, like you mentioned, top five echelon where he's going to clear up mistakes. He's going to guide you to a Super Bowl. I think Daniel Jones is pretty much capped at this point. There's only Mm -hmm. so much more Brian Dable can get out of him. And that's the last thing you want in this draft process if you're the Colts because you and I have stressed that even though we have different prospects we like, we've stressed it over this evaluation period, which is that if the quarterback regardless of which one you take is a flop or does not have those traits where like if Daniel Jones is the ceiling for this prospect, Colts fans are going to be very, very disappointed. Wildly disappointed in five years. Absolutely. You know what, Jay Cook, there are some great uh, speeches in sports movies. You know, think about uh, any given Sunday with Al Pacino. 
We, we, we claw with our fingernails for that inch, right? That great one. Uh, I haven't seen Hoosiers. I'm, uh, there's probably a great speech in there's, that there's one. A, a, regardless of what scoreboard says, at the end of the day, in my book, we're going to be winners, baby. Let's way go. To, Let's way go to ruin there. the movie for me, Jimmy. Damn, what sorry. motivation do I have to watch the thing? I gave now, you but, one line. Yeah. Okay. I, that's just me being me. But we, <laughs> what we need, we need the opposite. We need a great speech to go out there and lose. Huh? Right? That's what we need as we <laughs> investigate the, the tank standings right around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Brian No and Jimmy Cook with you here on The Fan. Big night in the tank standings here, Jimmy. So we've got the Pacers. They're in a three-way tie. So they are eighth right now. They've got the same record as the Orlando Magic and the Washington Wizards. So the Magic yesterday, they were in it. They were in a close one against the Cavs, but Donovan Mitchell with his fourth straight game scoring at least 40 points for Cleveland as the Cavs pulled it out. Bad news for the Pacers. We needed the Magic to somehow win that game, and Indiana could move up in the tank standings. But here they are in eighth place right now, and a pretty big difference, right? To the odds to get the number one overall pick. So the team in sixth place, you get a 9% chance. The team right now in eighth place, which is the Pacers, a four and a half percent chance. So they have half the chance in eighth place as they would being the sixth place team. So we got to lose. Long story short, I'm on the wrong site clearly because Tankathon.com. That's a real oh, place. It's terrible. a real place. Uh, gives you a broad picture of things, but you went into the minutia, which I appreciate, yeah. of what the tiebreak holds right now, because technically, from just a record standpoint, Washington, Indiana, Orlando are all listed as the same percentages, but when you look at uh, the in-depth area, where, where are you at, by the way, or text me where you're at so I can be on a better spot. The reason I asked this, Brian, is because our main goal right now, outside of hoping that the Pacers lose games and Washington Orlando win, is if we want to get really greedy... Uh-huh. And it took a big shot on the chin last night. Yeah, we did. need those Portland Trailblazers to find a way. They lost by ten to the tra- to the Grizzlies last night. It is Spurs, Clippers, Warriors. The final three games. Yeah, we got to find a way for the Blazers to rise up <laughs> and get one of those games. And the Pacers have to do their part and lose out. Yep, got to lose out yep. here. And what is it? Uh, the Knicks twice, Pistons once. Yeah, Knicks, Pistons, Knicks. Yep. All right, we gotta. I mean, there. I think that's an untapped uh, state of real estate. Uh, a piece of real estate is uh, the sports movie where there is a, a passionate plea to go out there and lose. Right? Like, I feel like I think that we could apply that to the here and now for the Pacers. Right? I, I'm surprised there hasn't been a movie take advantage of that, Jimmy. You know, there are certain scripts that that are sometimes too good. That Hollywood would be like, ah, oh, you know, we're just gonna shove that one away. I feel like that the tank story is yeah. too good. It's that it's that feel good where the first half of it is the grueling process that has been this uh, to this point seventy nine game season, and you're on the doorstep of just something so beautiful, and that mm-hmm. is a better a better percentage of ping pong balls to try to get the number one pick. I don't have the speech written, Brian, but there is something to that where you get a, a top level actor. And you just have that look in their eye like, guys, we need to lose. And, and there's something just deep about that message, I feel like, that right. could uh, inspire millions. 
Hey, man, uh, we might be able to write the script ourselves. You make a couple of bucks off of that thing. We can afford to go to to the Masters. Yeah, (laughs) we'll get to that in the next hour as well. That cheap concession stand, pricey, pricey (laughs) tickets. We've got James Boyd from The Athletic to talk some Colts with us right around the corner. Keep it locked right here. Brian No and Jimmy Cook with you. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. want to welcome in James Boyd covers the Colts for The Athletic. You know, James, it's funny, man. I'm just thinking about I'm so ready for the NFL draft, and I glance down April 5th. I'm like, all right, April 5th, uh, April 27th. All right, we got a little over three weeks. And I'm like, I just thought about you because I'm not writing about the draft almost every single day. You know what I mean? And I'm getting antsy. I'm like, is it here yet? So how do you feel about it when you're covering it extensively? Yeah, I think for me it does get a bit redundant at times because it's like how many times can you lay out the options at quarterback for the Colts in particular? How many times can you go through what Jim Ursay thinks and has thought over the years? Same thing with Chris Ballard. So um, I feel like I just have to grind my way through it and provide the content because I do think that regardless of what you write, if you write anything about the draft, it's going to get red because everyone is, uh, you know, on their on their toes, just waiting to see what happens. James, last time we had you on, you mentioned that through your mock process, you like to do a different perspective in that you try to look at different angles that that could happen, not necessarily like what you truly believe is going to happen. You were trying to find different scenarios or different situations of what would happen if the Colts do this or that. And, and like you mentioned, sometimes it was to create engagement. Other times it was an educational process for you to figure out what would look best with the Colts uh, through this process who has been your most ideal situation for the Colts, assuming they stand pat at four? Just what you'd like to see them do. Yeah, I think if they stay pat at four, Lamar Jackson is out. He's not an option. If he's not an option, but they're seriously considering, which I don't think they really are, um, I think the ideal situation is you stay at four and you take Anthony Richardson. Um, I know that makes a lot of people very happy and a lot of people very mad because it's like, why do you pick this kid? His completion percentage, um, this, that, and the third. He isn't, you know, Cam Newton. He isn't Lamar Jackson. Just because he looks like him, it's like, I'm not saying this. These are what teams are saying about him, scouts. And you cannot just deny his physical gifts because it is one of one, and he is in that 1% of athlete where it's like, man, if we trust Shane Steichen enough, and he could get us over the top, you know, with this kid. You could have a really, really special player who fits, in my opinion, the franchise quarterback you need, but also sort of that modern quarterback where, you know, they're also a dual threat. There's a lot of anti-Levis stuff out there the last couple of weeks where it's him taking a bathroom selfie shirtless. Oh, this freaking guy, this narcissist over here. He's dropping down the mock drafts. You just mentioned some of the Colts fans specifically might be – some of them anti-Richardson. Are there more anti-Richardson or more anti-Levis Colts fans, in your opinion? It feels like it's more anti-Levis, which I think is truly unfair. I even put a piece out there recently just stating, hey, let me remind everyone that he has a lot of upside as well. Like, he isn't some, you know, absolute terrible consideration. Like, there's pros and cons with all four of the top four quarterbacks. 
But I just feel like, you know, he's been given an unfair shake. Um, maybe, you know, during his interviews, he says some things that are a little bit off the wall. Like I remember asking him at the combine, hey, what do you think you can bring a team right now versus in the future? And he's like, I can bring him, you know, championship level play right now. And I'm like, no, you can't. Like, that's not, you know, realistic. And that's not disrespectful to him. That's just any, you know what I mean? That's any quarterback in this class. Like, I don't expect Bryce Young or CJ Stroud to step in and make their team a championship level team. I mean, come on now. Um, you know, we look at Andrew Luck as Colts fans when he came in and he turned him into a playoff in his first year. It's like, that doesn't happen. Peyton Manning came in in his first year and the Colts were still terrible. So, um, you know, stuff like that might move people the wrong way. But at the same time, I think that he um, has a level of maturity that I mean, people overlook because he's gone through the ups and downs of a college career. He's been the man. He hasn't been the man. He's uh, had a pretty good season in 2021, struggled some in 2022. So, like, I think all of that helps because it's going to be a lot on your plate in the NFL, and it's not going to go well right off the bat. Or, you know, there's going to be times, even if it does go well, well, you don't succeed because you're at the highest level of the sport. So people need to, I guess, give him a little more grace, I think, because, again, there's a reason why he's being considered and he does have a lot of upside. And he has the experience of running an NFL offense, two of them in college. James Boyd of The Athletic, nice enough to join us. You can follow him on Twitter at RomeoAvilleKid. James, your colleague Zach Kiefer revisited a conversation point that was prominent when they hired Shane Steichen, which is the amount of influence, the amount of just input overall that he has in this equation for what the Colts are ultimately going to do at quarterback and what they do in the grand scheme of things throughout the entirety of the draft and the rest of the offseason uh, through your, your engagement with the press pool with Zach with with coach Steichen as he's become more familiar and more public within the community and within Indianapolis uh, what have been your ultimate summary of how much he's going to be able to have in this say I think he's going to have a big say that's why they hired him I understand that there's other factors that went into it but I believe one of the biggest factors was that he's worked with quarterbacks, a variety of them, and he succeeded with a variety of them. And obviously the Colts are at this crossroads where they have to find their next franchise quarterback this year. Like there's no more of that kicking the can down the road. I know I've heard some fans theorize, and I even put it out there just to, um, you know, engage with the fans about trading back possibly for Hendon Hooker and things like that. But I still think that's even very, 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 if you didn't hear that, I said very unlikely scenario where um, they trade back. So they have to make a decision, I believe, at four or possibly moving up to number three. And I think that Shane Steichen is going to have a lot of say in that because um, this is who you're trusting your franchise with alongside that quarterback. So you don't want to get someone and just tell them work with them. And you don't want to say, hey, what is your thoughts? What are your opinions on this? Who can you work with? And obviously he's not going to say you can't work with any of them. But if he has a preference, I think you have to heavily consider that because – um, he's had success, and if he hits on his guy, um, it's good for everyone involved. You know, James Boyd covers the Colts for The Athletic, joining us here on The Fan. I read your stuff the other day, James, and it was good because you had a couple of trade examples where what the Niners gave up to move up to get Trey Lance. The greatest one I love, what the Browns gave up to move up one spot from four to three to draft running back Trent Richardson. You know, and it was beautiful because they gave up a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder, and a seventh rounder. This goes back to 2012. So what do you think it would take for the Colts to move from four to three for a quarterback? And also, if you take it a step further, 
some of the teams that might be candidates to leapfrog the Colts. What do you think the price tag would be, say, for the Raiders to move up from seven to three specifically for a quarterback? Yeah, I guess we'll start with the Raiders. I do think their package has to be bigger, obviously, because they're coming from further down. And, and, you know, if you're Arizona, do you say, hey, we need, you know, two first round picks right off the bat, like just to, you know, set the market? But I think um, the Colts are in a good position where I do think there's going to, it's not going to happen like anytime soon. I think if this were to happen, you kind of have to wait probably till draft day because you don't want to give up things um, right away before you kind of fill out the market. Maybe they do. Um, get a little antsy and make a move. But um, the Colts are in a really good position, I think, to move up to number three without having to give up a number one, a number, another first-round pick, which is, in theory, what you'd have to do um, if you tried to get out, go after Lamar. So I think that, um, you know, something along the lines of, hey, what if we give you number four, um, a third-round pick, and a fifth-round pick or something like that to move up to four where you're able to continue to, you know, keep your – Number one, you know, first-round picks, those types of picks obviously are, are hard to come by. And, you know, if Marvin Harrison Jr. is out there next year, you don't want to be able to miss out on him. <laughs> I'll mm-hmm. throw that out there. But, yeah, I think that it, it will be um, one of those packages where it's not something that, like, breaks the bank um, financially or in draft capital-wise, but it gets you where you need to be to get your franchise quarterback. And I think at the end of the day, that's what matters the most. Um, no one will really care what you gave up if you get your guy. And in this case, um, you still wouldn't have to give up that much, I don't think, in theory, to get them. Like, obviously, Arizona knows you need a quarterback. They're going to demand a lot, but you don't have to, um, you know, give into that. But the other thing I want to point out is if you do, you know, give up a lot, it's not necessarily just to move up. It's to box everyone else out, you know, from from being able to get that number three pick. So maybe you do have to give a little little bit more up, but I feel like it's just a cat and mouse game right now because even Seattle's taking, you know, selfies with every – top quarterback and they don't have a top four pick do they try to you know just make the Colts think a little bit harder about those types of things but I do think it is more realistic that that happens rather than like I said trading back or you know trying to go after Lamar James we've talked a lot about what they're going to do with the quarterback position and with that first round pick but when you look at other areas where they're going to need additional help in theory you'd like to see them make an upgrade at wide receiver I know they brought in Isaiah McKenzie but but in general that that's a playmaking piece that's not a starting number one wide receiver or complimentary piece uh, more of a complimentary piece rather then you look at the defensive end with Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Faison out uh, what type of adjustments in attack level do you expect in those following rounds, like rounds two, three, four, for the Colts to address those needs? Yeah, I would expect them to go after wide receiver um, somewhere in the top three rounds, top four. Um, they need another playmaker out there, and given the, the wide receiver market so far and just they're not being that engaged with it, I think that they have to go out and get um, someone else to – potentially be like a, you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver two, um, you know, for this team because you look at the potential of drafting a quarterback, what helps the quarterback? Improving your offensive line, which they have to address, I think, in the draft and free agency, um, as well as giving him playmakers. It's very easy to make plays when you have guys that can make big plays. Um, You look at the Jalen Hurts um, ascension, and a lot of that, I will say, you know, is credit to him because he worked on his game. He got a lot better. You can see that. But he's also throwing at Devontae Smith and, you know, uh, A.J. Brown. So those are, you know, guys who could be number ones on, on, on several teams in the NFL. So, again, I think they have to find a wide receiver, bolster the offensive line as well. You might want to get a right guard out there. 
Um, I think you can find some depth at left tackle through the draft or free agency. You have to at least bring it in and have some competition there with Bernard Ryman. And then as well as cornerback, I know the one comment that Chris Ballard said last week at the uh, owners meeting when he's playing like, yeah, we got Rilla Gilmore, but we got Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers. We expect those guys to take a jump. And I'm like, wait a second. He said this last year about the offensive line, and we saw how that happened. So they do need to bring in um, perhaps a veteran cornerback as well and, and just some depth there as well in the draft. So there's some holes there, and I think when you have four wins to show for last season, it's obvious that, yes, the quarterback is the biggest piece, but there's other pieces you need because um, for so long it felt like they were just right there. I need the quarterback. I think last year was an eye-opening experience for everyone involved, and it was like, okay, maybe we haven't built this the right way, and we should you know, look at doing things differently. Uh, James, what do you think ends up happening with Lamar? Just your, ju- your gut feeling on that whole story. I think Lamar ends up back in Baltimore. Now, I don't know if that happens on him just betting on himself again with the one-year franchise tag. Um, I don't know if he comes to an agreement with Baltimore, but it just seems like, and I get all the collusion talk. I do think that it is ridiculous for teams like the Commanders and the Falcons to say they don't want to go after the guy at all or even consider him. Um, that is a complete joke. And, and, and so I do think there is some truth to owners just completely not wanting to consider uh, fully guaranteed contracts. But in my opinion, just say that rather than make up excuses, you know, like the Falcons owner did where he's saying, oh, he's missed games the last few years. And it's like, dude, you guys tried to get Deshaun Watson last year. He missed the entire 2021 season, and he also missed 11 games last year because of his alleged misconduct. So, like, let's be, you know, realistic. At least Jim Irsay said, I don't believe in fully guaranteed deals. Mm-hmm. I, that's fair, you know. But I do think that um, there are teams out there as well who just don't view him the way he views himself, which is not disrespectful. Lamar is a great talent, but he's not so undeniably great that it's a no-brainer. You know, Joe Burrow, if Patrick Mahomes, if they ask for fully guaranteed deals, they probably get them before they finish their statement or their question to ownership. With Lamar, it's like he's a top 10 quarterback, give or take, and he's also such a unique player that you can't just plug him in and tell him to go play. You have to change so much around him because he's such a unique player and I understand he's a former MVP, youngest MVP in NFL history, but the NFL is very much a what have you done for me lately league, and lately he's been hurt. And I get it. He's a great, great talent when he's healthy. He wins a lot you know, throughout the regular season. The one percentage is unbelievable, 45-16. and 16. But in the playoffs, you're one and three. So, again, like there's pros and cons to both sides of it. But I ultimately think that because of that, other teams maybe aren't as interested as you would think. And I think he ends up back, you know, in Baltimore. Plus, even if he, like – is disgruntled and, and upset. If he really wants to force their hand and like hold out and not play, he'll miss two million dollars a game basically once mm. the season starts. And um, I don't know about anybody else listening or you two. Um, I like money. I don't think I will ever, <laughs> you know, not show up to get my money. I mean, I haven't always liked my employer. Like I like where I'm working now. Obviously, it's great. But I was in high school or college working different jobs. I didn't like my employer that much, but I showed up because I needed the money or I wanted the money. So. I think that's a huge factor, and we'll see how it plays out. I think it ultimately comes down to if Lamar is so frustrated where he's like, I will just never play for you all again, whether it's fully guaranteed or not, and then we'll see. So I think more real – honestly, the last thing I'll say about it is I feel like if we see something with Lamar, it'll be after the draft when teams have either picked a quarterback or haven't picked a quarterback, and it's more defined overall, okay, which teams need a franchise quarterback.
Hey, man, interesting stuff, James. Always good to uh, chat with you, man. Hope you have a good rest of the day. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, I'll continue, continue twiddling my thumbs until draft. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Us too, man. Join the club over here, man. Good stuff for sure, man. There he is. James Boyd covers the Colts for the Athletic. Yeah, what do we have? 22 days until night one, day one of the NFL draft. So uh, looking forward to that. And that is uh, the eve of Kelsey Jam. You know, otherwise known as that, <laughs> Travis Kelsey has his music festival in the Kansas City area. You have your tickets for that? Well, if you could go to either one, is it the Masters or is it Kelsey Jam? Oh man! Uh, well, I'm going to factor in what we're going to talk about either this segment or later in the show. the The cost of each event, I feel like bang for my Oof. buck and value, it's got to be Kelsey Jam. It's got to I mean, be Kelsey I'm, Jam. Sorry. For the, yeah, yeah, you're right. But the concession prices I mean, at the Masters. Yeah, event. I'm going to be paying uh, you know twelve dollars and fifty cents for a grilled cheese at Kelsey Jam, just a dollar fifty at Augusta. <laughs> By the way, some stuff I wanted to talk about that James brings up. He's uh, he brings up a lot of interesting things here. One of the, the first things I thought of is I wonder how far teams think things through when the draft is right around the corner where he mentioned the Seahawks taking selfies with all of these top quarterback prospects, you know? And it just got me thinking where if you think about from the Seahawks perspective, right? They're at fifth overall. So they could be there there could be a top quarterback that's still on the board when they're sitting there at number five. So it makes sense for them to investigate what these quarterbacks are about and all that type of stuff. But if you think it through, like, did they even, is it even on their radar of, hey, let's kind of, let's make the Colts sweat this thing out. I, I don't think that's it because think about it. The Arizona Cardinals are in their division. So it's actually bad for the Seahawks if the the Cardinals trade down, especially with the Colts. So if the Cardinals trade down with the Colts, they move down one slot. They still get the defensive guy that they were targeting all along, and they get upwards of a second and a third round pick. Like that's bad for the Seahawks. So I wonder how much they even if that's even on their radar of, hey, maybe we don't put selfies out in the open, right? To <laughs> to like so maybe Arizona or or what if this? What if it's even worse? What if a team lower than the Colts gets aggressive and makes a move for that number three overall pick and gives up way more draft equity? You know, that's not good for Seattle either. So I find that to be really, really interesting. Yeah, Seattle's in a tough boat to your overall point, right? Because even if they wanted, let's just say for the sake of argument, that they wanted a quarterback and they were willing to overpay to go get it. They have Geno Smith. I'm not saying that even on the deal that he's on, you couldn't draft a quarterback if you're Seattle, if one is there and sit him for a year or two, that that would be fine. But your only reasonable paths are either trading up with the Colts, and that's assuming the Colts are like, hey, you know what, we did all this research, it's not for us, we're going to jump back. Or trading up with the Texans, and that would likely take a King's Ransom to get to two because of the way that Stroud and Young are evaluated. The Cardinals aren't doing anything with you, and because obviously, like you mentioned, it's a divisional foe, so there's only so much, I don't want to call it tampering, but playing or mudding of the waters you can do if you're Seattle without the risk of, to your point, Brian, it biting you in the backside because now they have a king's ransom all yeah. of a sudden and are able to build a, a team that, even with Kyler Murray, takes them to the playoffs next year. Yeah, I find that to be really, really interesting. Also this, with uh, James Boyd talking about 
maybe having those top picks for next year and, you know, like building around whichever quarterback you have, all those sorts of things. But think about this, Marvin Harrison Jr., in Indianapolis, my mind doesn't go toward the obvious, which is, you know, obviously Marvin Harrison was in Indy for a long, long time and was freaking fantastic. It'd be cool if Harrison Jr. was there also. My mind goes straight to, wouldn't it be awesome, for me at least, if uh, Will the Thrill Levis, if he's the Colts quarterback, and then they eventually get Marvin Harrison Jr., who was C.J. Stroud's wide receiver at Ohio State. I think it would be hilarious if Will Levis finally had more talent around him and you had uh, C.J. Stroud like kind of have the Kentucky supporting cast in the NFL. I'm not rooting for that with C.J. Stroud. I'm just saying I think C.J. Stroud's getting more roses than he deserves because he's got a, a much greater supporting cast. It'd be funny if it was role reversal in the NFL with Levis and Stroud. It would be funny, I suppose, to an extent. But again, at that point, then the the pumping up or boosting up of Levis stops, and now it's prove-it time. Because now the excuses are done once they supply whatever team it is, whether it's the Colts or wherever Will Levis goes. The the benchmark argument for Will Levis is, and, and it's it's fair to an extent, went through offensive coordinator changes, didn't have the same type of talent around him. You put weapons around him and boy, is he going to fly. And I hope so. I hope for him that he's able to achieve those type of dreams. But the second you do that, Brian, it doesn't mean don't do it. By all means, acquire every weapon that you can now that argument's moot, and now it's time to go prove it and and see what he has. Well, but that's the boat you want to be in. Sure. You, you want it to be, uh, what would be a good example? Instead of uh, like uh, Sam Darnold with the Jets, where he didn't have a whole lot around him, you want Tua with the Dolphins. And it's just like, it's like a... A uh, little baby, like here's your binky, here's your blankie, here's everything you could possibly need. Yep. That's what you want for a quarterback. So with Tua, where he's got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, and it's like, okay, now you got something to work with. So I understand what you're saying, but whoever the quarterback is with the Colts, you want them surrounded with as much talent as humanly possible. And you you're right. To. If it's Levis and Harrison Jr., sure, it would be prove it time. But that's the boat you want to be in instead of. Hey, man, I I don't know. Maybe you're a miracle worker and ma- can make it work with the Kentucky of the NFL, too. You know, good luck with that. Also this, Jim Irsay has talked about it, building around your franchise quarterback. He said it takes a lot more, and he's right. It takes a lot more than just a franchise quarterback. He went all the way back to the Peyton Manning era and said the common belief was like, you got Peyton Manning, you're good. It's like, no, man, it takes a lot more than that. So I'm curious what his mentality is going to be heading into this draft. He might look at it and say, Levis with a second and a third, not trading any of that stuff, that's better than having to box out everybody else and move up to number three to potentially get Anthony Richardson. He might look at it like that. Ballard might look at it like that. I want to know what they're looking at it like, but we're just guesstimating here. Yeah, I mean, we talked to Mike Chappell yesterday, and I totally agree with him. I would I would gladly, as tough as it would be as a radio personality here, I would gladly sign an NDA just to get for an hour in one of those <laughs> yeah, rooms there and you figure go. out, okay, how does the process work within this regime? Because they And I, I tipped the cap. I tipped the cap to West 56 and I tipped the cap to the Colts because in this day and age, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to get everybody on board in your circles that nothing leaks. And totally. to this point, 
the Shane Steichen hire, yep. crickets, that entire front until it was right at the wire and until the announcement it, was made. Until it was Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Correct, yes. Yeah, and then and then and then it did, and then eventually it it, it, it pried through. So 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 maybe that's that's not the best example of the way it finished. <laughs> no, but, no, but you're hey, right. You're absolutely right. Same though. is yeah. true right now. There, there's no clear hint one way or another. One day it's Will Levis rumors and they really like him. The other rumors with it is that all you know they're, they're here's the list of quarterbacks they're working out. Maybe they're not taking a QB here. Maybe they want to go best available. They're going to take Will Anderson Jr. instead and wait on a quarterback in the second round. There's no clarity provided from the front office. And in a perfect world, we fans, we media members, we want all the nuggets, we want all the gold. But if I'm inside that building, that's exactly how I want it to be. I'll tell you what, this James Boyd piece a couple of days ago on The Athletic, just talking about the price tag to move up with some of these drafts, the closest comparison, and look, this is over a decade ago, so take that into account, but he talked about the last time a team specifically moved up from number four to number three, that was back in 2012, and he wrote, Cleveland traded the number four uh, selection a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder, and a seventh rounder. Okay, so a pick swap from four to three, and they give up a fourth, a fifth, and a seventh. That year to Minnesota in exchange for the number three pick and the right to draft running back Trent Richardson. Didn't work out for old Cleveland over there. Actually, Trent ended up here in Indianapolis, right? Uh, towards the tail he end did, of his yeah. career. Yeah, no, that no. didn't go great either. But, uh, but, but again, though, if that, if that was the value... If that oh. was the evaluation, oh my gosh. sign you me would, up. You would do it all day. Yeah, sure. Wouldn't think about it. If it's fourth, fifth, because because you're right. Sec, like the lower you get in the draft, it's not to say you can't still look and point at a fifth round pick that turned into a Hall of Famer or t- turned into a to an All Pro caliber position player. I'm not saying you can't do that. But the further you go in the rounds, the more you get into a gray area of how much is it that organization is so much better at evaluating talent than you are and how much of it is you actually would have taken that guy had you been there. It's different for me in the second and third rounds because one through three, those first three rounds, you absolutely have to nail it regardless of how good or bad your team is. You need to knock it out of the park in those first three rounds. You're giving up a four or five and a seven. Sign me up all day. Well, listen, it's you know, we could get on a into the weeds over here. If it's a 4, 5 and 7, I would do it just because the price tag would be that low for somebody else to come above me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like and that makes it much more likely somebody else would. Got to protect so, yourself at that so point. So to protect myself yeah. for that cost, yeah, I would do it. But when it's a premium picks, yeah. And I think the odds are still in my favor. That will the throw Levis will be there at number four. I wouldn't do that uh, for the second and the third rounder. But yeah, it's interesting. The price tag matters. And look, that was the price tag 11 years ago for a non-quarterback in Trent Richardson. Sure. It's a lot pricier these days when we know teams are moving up specifically for a quarterback. Draft inflation. It's tough. It's, it comes for everybody. It's draft inflation <laughs> and quarterback inflation. That's the way it goes. All right, coming up next, the concessions are affordable. And that's all. That's affordable. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. By the way, some uh, live gambling talk here, Jay Cook, which I know you're a fan of. <laughs> Always. 
What are we thinking? I'm looking at this uh, Mets-Brewers matchup. So the Brewers, they have crushed <laughs> the Mets the last couple of days. So they've won uh, 9 nothing yesterday, 10 nothing the day before. And they're about to start here at 140. So in just a few minutes here, Brew Crew 2-0 and at home. Mets are 3-3 three and three away. Uh, Corbin Burns on the bump for the Brew Crew. Bad first start. ERA is 720. <laughs> not great, not great. But you're getting value over here. He's facing David Peterson. He's got a, a much smaller ERA at 180. But how about the Brew Crew with everything I just mentioned? Minus 140. Just outright. What do we think? We going Brewers here? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump behind that. I, you, you sold me. I, I, I like the Brewers. I'll be honest. I, I hadn't looked at the Brewers match, matchup starting today. That wasn't on my on my docket. But yeah, I'm okay with the Brew Crew. Uh, it started, I think, when they released the lines either this morning or last night at about minus 130, minus 135. So only a little bit of, of movement on the public line. And that's not terrible value for what you're getting there. Okay. I'm down All right. with it. In show? Brew crew betting? Yeah. Is this a new thing? I'm down for some. I mean, it doesn't just have to be the brew crew. Hold on, wait a second. My other betting partner, uh, our talented, Uh-oh. extraordinary Eddie Garrison, uh, gave think, me a Eddie? thumbs down on the brew crew. Hold Uh-oh. on. Uh-oh. I give a thumbs down to this because when I look at Milwaukee, they're a team that's not good offensively and they've exploded the last two games, which brings me to this. I, I'm expecting a little bit of regression here mm. in the game today. I don't think that offense is going to put up another insane amount of runs like they have so far through the first two games. And Corbin Burns was one of the more slowing, uh, slower pitchers last year between pitches. I think he averaged like 27 seconds between pitch, which is pretty crazy. So I think the number of the ERA and the whip of 1.4, I think the pitch clock has a little bit of an effect here. And it may take him a couple starts to get used to having to get back on the mound so quick. And I think that's part of the reason why he struggled in that first outing. I'm actually kind of interested in the Mets because they need a win to get above 500 to get back uh, before they get back home. I don't think they get swept. They're a team that I don't think they got swept more than twice last season. So I would actually lean Mets here because they have the lefty on the mound too. Milwaukee struggles against lefties. Uh, Yelich is not a great left-handed hitter. Uh, Jesse Winker, he's at the bottom of that lineup, not a great left-handed hitter. Owen Miller <laughs> either. So, I mean, there's some guys in that lineup that aren't great left-handed hitters that t- make me want to take the Mets today. You know what? You know what just happened right there, Jimmy? This would be my comparison. It would be like, you know, in my dating days, if I asked a girl out, she didn't just say no. She detailed all the reasons why she was saying no. She didn't say, ah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of busy on Friday, but, but thank you. She said, no, not only am I busy on Friday, you're too short. You don't earn enough money. Your face is stupid. I think you might be lacking in the man region if I'm just guessing. You know, she, that's what... That's what Eddie Garrison just did, and I like it. I like the I, detailed analysis, yes. but he didn't let us down gently no. necessarily. He, he, he did not, and, and his, his right hand, <laughs> overhand right, was so strong <laughs> that I'm now stepping away from it altogether, and I've decided, <laughs> I'm, and maybe he doesn't like this as well, I'm going over eight here. I'm, I'm, I'm going over. What? The Brewers have scored 19 runs in their first two games, Whoa! and I'm I'm just going over eight. I've left completely. Not only was it a a uh, the girlfriend had totally laid it out for you, I, I looked at I was like, you're right. 
you know what? You're right. I got I got some stuff I need to fix. That's wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because he went in detail about you got a lefty going for the Mets. The Brewers don't hit left-handed pitching that well, and somehow that equates to the over. Yes, the Mets have been scoreless the last two days, and he just said the Brewers don't hit left-handed pitching that well, and somehow that equates to the over. For Se- you. Seven two Brewers over or setters. Oh, wait, so you're saying you're taking the, the Mets outright. I would okay. lean Mets five, outright. 5-4 five, five, Mets, then, is what I'm going with there. Over hits. <laughs> That's I my simulation you... model I just made up. 5-4. Eddie, I, I, if, I'm, if I'm reading the room right, I don't think Jimmy was smelling what you were cooking over there. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I don't either. I, don't I, think... I, 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 I heard the first half, and then the, just the, the overwhelming of stats made me feel <laughs> so self-conscious about going to bat for the Brewers that I, I just scrambled elsewhere altogether. Well, my bet has already been entered. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I entered it right away when Jay Cook was like, I like what you're thinking here. So the damage is already done here, Eddie. Hopefully the Brew Crew gets it done. Uh, you got any plays today, Eddie? You, you are knee deep into baseball. Eddie's betting. a baseball guru. Oh, I love baseball. It's my favorite. Um, I had this a little bit earlier. I don't know if it's changed at all. I had Dylan Cease over seven and a half strikeouts. Uh-huh. I took him over 17 and a half innings last night. To, well, outs, not innings. 17 and a half outs last night because I think he will just absolutely mow down that Giants lineup. Uh, in the Reds game, I don't know how to lean one way or the other because of this delay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it'll affect the pitchers at all. A lot of these games are currently going. I haven't really looked much into these afternoon games, but uh, there's only one night game, which is a little odd. Um, so I don't know. I don't really have anything yet. I'm trying to find something, though. There you go. See, like Eddie doesn't just like flip quarters over here. You know, he's no. analyzing, yep. and if he sees, what is it, the movie Rounders? Right where he sees a mark, he takes it yeah. down. Yeah. That's what he does. Yeah. That's what <laughs> what Ed Norton was saying. Okay, so let's turn our attention to the Masters over here. So the concessions are affordable. That's the good news. The bad news is that's the only thing that's affordable. <laughs> so the concessions, if you look at the Masters, and Eddie Garrison sent us this, Eddie, a little bit earlier today, were very affordable, very nice, very good uh, affordable prices over here. I'll rattle off a couple of things here. So if you're looking at soft drinks, for instance, only two bucks, bottled water, two dollars. How about this for some brews? A domestic brew, five bucks. Import beer, five dollars. That's it. That's so cheap compared to you go to a football game, you go to a baseball game, you go to a basketball game. It's it's high. So very, very affordable. Nice concession stand prices here. Now, if you read the fine print here, Jay Cook, <laughs> the tickets to get into the thing outrageous on the secondary market you got some prices for us can you just throw a few uh, hundred dollar price actually a few thousand dollar prices our way here so let's say you're looking for a four-day pass you want to take everything in that augusta has to offer and again in slight defense to the masters this is the secondary market it's not what augusta's charging to get in the door but it's very hard to get to augusta's front of the line get in the door so you're the secondary market instead for the common folks four-day pass $10,749 for one person wow. for four days. Maybe you're thinking, hey, you know what? I just want to go uh, Friday. I'm, I'm in town. I got a flight Saturday. I'm just going to see the $2,664 for just the one session on Friday. The most surprising to me, though, if you're a value shopper here, and again, this is great value after I hit you over the head with the $10,749 starting price for the four-day pass. 
Let's say you just want Championship Sunday. Let's say you're a, a Tiger fan like I am. And you're like, maybe he can once again turn back the clock and we're wearing red on Sunday and there's a push on the back nine at Augusta. $1,276. Just just a cheap price right there to be able to get you in the door on the secondary market. Absolutely wild. That's that's rough. But but the chips and peanuts only a dollar fifty a piece right there. You know, you want a mini moon pie, only a buck. That's the least they can do after those prices, man. To show you though, the, the our listening audience, how wild it is. And we talk about just the gouging of prices on the secondary market for the Super Bowl. The daily ground pass for the Masters, if you're able to win the ticket lottery that, that is an allotment at Augusta National Club, $140 would it cost for you there. There you One go. One practice rounds, just 100 bucks. Hey, Absolutely man. insane going from that to $4,557 for opening round at Augusta. Wow. I mean, hey, if we're ticket scalpers, that's the market we need to be in. We need to somehow get an in and get our hands on these uh, lottery one tickets. Do you have to tank to get those? Like better lottery odds? How does that work? They they actually they they take you up to like uh, Pebble Beach and you need to set the course record for worst score. And and that's kind of how your lottery odds are determined. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. How about the Masters dinner as well? So that was last night. I Scotty didn't see Scheffler. these points. So I'm excited about this story. Okay, so, you, you know, it's a tradition. I know you're well aware of that, yes. where you have the, the dinner and the reigning champion gets to pick the menu. And so they had the dinner last night. And so Scotty Scheffler, he opted for, you just give me a quick thumbs up, thumbs down on all these items. Cheeseburger sliders is what he went with. Thumbs up. Served Scotty style. That's what it said on the menu. Uh, we got firecracker shrimp, sweet Thai chili, and sriracha mayo. Thumbs up. Thumbs up on that. Okay. Tortilla soup. And it just says in parentheses, avocado, crispy blue tortilla strips, sour cream, cilantro, lime. I'm, I'm sure it's pretty tasty, but I like the other two, two menu items better. So I'll go thumbs down. Okay. All right. Now we get our choice. Texas ribeye steak. Oh. Or blackened redfish, and it says family style mac and cheese, jalapeno, creamed cord, fried Brussels sprouts. I don't know why you would do that to yourself. And seasoned fries. They ended with a bang right there. Uh, two thumbs up all the way around. Really? Like, 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 that, like those options there on the main course. It yes. sounded like the, ooh, you would go Texas ribeye steak. Yes, I would go okay. Texas ribeye steak. Yeah. And we then a uh, little dessert here, warm chocolate chip skillet cookie. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Right here for it. Now, I think it's a strong way to, to close I, th- right there. If my double thumbs up ruling there would be if we're turning it into uh shout out. I, I think they're still in business. I'm sure they are. Shout out to BJ's Brewhouse, not a sponsor. If we uh-huh. go a little Pazuki action, get a scoop of ice cream right in the middle of uh, that yeah. skillet cookie. Yep, that yep. Now, now we're cooking. Totally. And you know what? I used to. It's funny. I'll nice give you a quick pun. story. So I used to go to that same place in Fresno. And they would have their setup at a lot of those BJ Brew houses. They would have the two TVs on the side, and then they had like a big screen TV that they could make into four screens in the middle. Yep. And so you think about the early games on an NFL Sunday. There might be eight, nine, ten early games. And it was the year that the Dolphins nearly went winless. Okay, and so I'd always ask, like, could you get the Dolphins game? And without fail, toward the end of the season, someone would be like, who's watching the Dolphins? (laughs) And I'd have to just sheepishly raise my arm like, 
me. Like, <laughs> I'm hoping they win a game. Oh, yeah, but man. I got love for BJ's Brew House over there for sure. Uh, giving you some some of your Dolphins fix you desperately needed. That's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, what would your menu look like, uh, Jimmy? What would be on the dinner menu? <sighs> man. You're the Masters champ. All right, we have dinner exactly in your wheelhouse. What are a couple of the items there? Um, I need some uh, pigs in a blanket. I need some some. I'm trying to think of like appetizers first. I need some some hush puppies. I need some buffalo chicken dip. Um, for for a soup, uh, I'm a I'm not a big soup guy. I know this is probably gonna you know get some pushback. Love a good clam chowder. So I'm I'm, I'm giving some clam chowder out there uh, from the soup aspect. Wow. Uh, for for your for your main entrees, I would like a a, a combination of of a nice. Uh, I like I like the ribeye. I, I, I love a good yeah. a, a good steak set up there, and some fully loaded mac and cheese. I think as wow. a, as a side item. Um, I'm, I'm leaving the veggies behind. Uh, let's also go with some uh, just truffle fries because the. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Masters, you got to be exquisite a little bit there. I feel like you need something exotic, so we'll throw some truffle fries there. And then for dessert, uh, option of key lime pie or cheesecake are your oh, two options bad, there on the dessert. Not bad, You close strong right yeah. there. I would go straight meat sweats. It would just be a cornucopia of meat. It would just be steak. It'd be chicken. Yes. It'd be a pork. It'd be all kinds of stuff right there. We'd wash it down with some cherry pie. Maybe I like your, your choice of uh, cheesecake as well. Uh, maybe some ice cream on the side as well. But uh, yeah, like straight meats. I'm not worried about the sides and all this exquisite stuff. We're just going straight. Have you ever gone to... Uh, What's the fancy place where it's sort of uh, a la carte meat menu, if you will? Fogo de Brazil- Chao. Fogo de Chao, yeah. It, that's basically what I would have. I would have the Fogo de Chao at the Masters, basically. Eddie, what's what on your be. menu? Oh, it's a, it's one nothing Mets. That's on my menu. Oh, that's oh, all we're doing? Okay. You, right. you freaking Eddie. Why don't you have your information before the bets are entered? Huh? Why, why didn't you consult with me before oh. placing the bet? <laughs> what's on the dinner menu there? Masters reigning champion Eddie Garrison? Oh, I don't know. I haven't had time I, I, to think about He pointed, so, so again, since we're live mics taking you behind the curtain, I thought he was pointing to get in on the menu conversation. Uh-huh. Instead, he was pointing to put He's our pointing face further in our, yeah. our, our uh, uh, reckless Jimmy, bet of yeah, the Brewers. Jimmy, it's good for you, though. It is. We're, we're on pace. <laughs> on pace for the <laughs> your, over. Your lack of listening is paid off. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, coming up next, I'm going to say something about a guy I've been very high on NFL draft-wise. It, it might stagger you, Jay Cook. You might think, what have you done to Brian Noy? I thought I knew you, and now I, I don't even know you anymore. That might be Brian Noy. yeah, that might be your exact reaction here. Brian No and Jimmy Cook, keep it locked right here. 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Brian No and Jimmy Cook with you here on the fan. So you know I've been uh, touting one Will the Thrill Levis over here, Jay Cook. But here's the thing I want to I want to mention here. There was a promo playing on the fan. It's from the uh, Kevin and Corey morning show. And um, they had a draft guy on, right? And he was talking about Will Levis having a chip on his shoulder and saying, I think he's tired of hearing about C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. And 
He's probably got a chip on his shoulder. And I just stopped and thought about that. And I'm like, I get the point. I totally understand that. And that's fine. That can help. But it really just comes back to how good are you? Like the chip on the shoulder, that's the extra little oomph that could be nice. Think about Tom Brady has a chip on his shoulder and he's a sixth round pick. And But he's Tom Brady. Like he's crazy talented and turned out to stun everybody in the NFL. I just go back to this is Baker Mayfield had a chip on his shoulder. You know what I mean? Like, look how that turned out. Baker Mayfield's not any good. So I think that a lot of times we talk about this chip on the shoulder as if it, oh, look out now. This guy's going to be, what, a playmaker because he's got beef with whatever it happens to be. He slid in the draft. Or Aaron Rodgers is uber talented. He was the 24th overall pick. It helped him be an even bigger beast because he was an initial beast to begin with. You know what I'm saying? So Will Levis, I'm just it could work out where if he's not uber talented in the NFL, the chip on his shoulder does no good whatsoever. It's really about how good is the player because I wouldn't confuse something that's secondary with something that's primary. Primary is talent and how you perform secondarily it's the chip on the shoulder can help bring that out even more but I can't help but remember the things that were said about Baker Mayfield when he went to Carolina was like look out he's got a chip on his shoulder he doesn't like how it turned out in Cleveland it's like who the hell cares he's Baker Mayfield I don't care if he's mad at the world he's not going to do anything anyway yeah and that is the part where we project out these prospects right you can't just look at their first season you need to see how they go season by season by season and it's very easy to point to like if you're if you're still a baker defender for some reason it would have been very easy his first two seasons to point and be like oh there's some promise here you know he threw for near 4000 yards and 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 completed uh just under 60% of his passes and then you look at his 2020 campaign when they actually made the playoffs 26 and 8 and you see a number like that you're like man that touchdown interception ratio that's a great quarterback right there he's got a he's got a great body of work reminds me of another quarterback that once played for the Colts for a season or two neither here nor there anyway you're right though the chip on your shoulder thing can only get you so far if your talent is not continually developed year over year and if you don't have the goods and and that's why Brian, I'm not like banging the drum necessarily for Anthony Richardson. I am over Levis, but why I'm more, I don't really know what either of these guys are going to be is because you look at quarterbacks like that, even the last four or five years where whether they are, a, a, I don't want to say no name, but you've painted it that way at times, a, a no name like Will Levis, who's not going with top tier talent in college versus a guy like Baker who wins a Heisman. And it doesn't translate. You can be in the best system or the worst system possible. If you don't have the talent and the ability to grow as a quarterback in the NFL, the chip on the shoulder is going to last you for five years and then you're going to be out of the league. I, I Yeah, listen, I just think that we view the quote-unquote chip on the shoulder the wrong way. I think that sometimes we make it out to be the driving force yeah. behind Tom Brady's success. And it's like... It was motivation. It drove him. But to make it out to be the primary thing that led to him being so successful, it's like, no, man, he was a total baller. Do you think if he didn't have that chip on the shoulder, he'd have like half the success or hardly any of it? Right. Like, and I think that sometimes we can use that too much where it's, hey, look out for this quarterback prospect. He's got a chip on his shoulder. And it's like, dude, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter nearly as much as we make it out yeah. to, to mean. And the top-tier quarterbacks are able to manufacture 
chips out of nothing. Like they have that talent and they'll just see one piece that like maybe uh, criticized a quarter of play that they had and they'll use that as fuel, right? Like chips can be invented out of thin air. And sometimes the ego on quarterbacks are big enough where they're able to, I'm talking about the Michael Jordan complex here of where all you have to do is just see one negative thing about you. And it's enough that, all right, yeah, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Doesn't take much to motivate a high caliber athlete. It does take much to be able to succeed as a high caliber athlete. And yeah, you're right. If you don't quantify what the chip really means or how much it really factors in, it can get overblown and turn into a big narrative that's not true. Yeah, and I just want to be accurate. I'm not saying that draft guy in the promo was saying draft Will Levis because he has the chip on his shoulder. He was. He he set it up the right way and said, hey, it's just... You know, it's a little more appealing that maybe a guy like Levis is sick and tired of hearing about Stroud and Young. And, you know, if, if he's the guy that's sitting there at four and you go with him, like that, that makes, makes you feel a little bit more comfortable, or a little happier that he's got an edge and something to prove. Like, yeah, that's fine. All I'm saying is sometimes we blow that out of proportion. Yeah, that's I agree. All. all right, coming up next, Jared Smith. Fox Sports Radio betting analyst does a great job. We'll cover a lot of stuff. The Masters, a little bit of NBA, a little baseball. We'll have some fun. Won't all be betting. If you're a non-better, you're still going to be entertained. That's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Jared Smith, Fox Sports Radio betting analyst, here to talk golf, NBA, MLB, cricket, uh, Formula One. Anything else we're talking about? Can you bet on scuba diving, Jared Smith? How about badminton? Hey, that's been a fun <laughs> one, too. And remember back during the pandemic, it was ping pong. Very that's popular. right. Millions of dollars, actually, people were betting on uh, ping pong. So uh, not, not my cup of tea, Brian, although all, all things being equal, I bet you could find some pretty decent wagers on those, on those sports. I would imagine. So did you ever place a Russian table tennis <laughs> wager during COVID? <laughs> no, but I, it's funny. I've had this conversation with many people. In fact, this would, be a, this would be a really fun conversation just for a broader spectrum. The craziest sports I bet on during the pandemic, I got invested in the KBO very briefly for like a couple of weeks, and I just I couldn't stay up to watch the games. And really, European soccer, that's really when I started betting soccer a lot. Because the Bundesliga and uh, English Premier League and La Liga all came back relatively quickly. And those for a while, especially the Bundesliga in Germany for a while, was the only show in town. Like the only real sport that was being played with a ball uh, other than, you know, the KBO. So European soccer and KBO were the two sports that, oh, and horse racing too. I bet a lot of ponies during the (laughs) pandemic because, um, yeah, that was another fun one. But I bet on some weird stuff. Those are some some dark times, guys. (laughs) Oh, man, dark times indeed. How about the lighter times? The Masters begins tomorrow. So many different ways you can bet it, Jared Smith. What's one of the things that you look at initially and say, this might be a route to take should you think about betting on the Masters? 
Yeah, usually the first thing that comes to mind, right, who's going to win the Masters, and that's where you'll get the longest odds, and, and, and that's where you'll get some really fun uh, long shots that might be, you know, oh, wow, 100 to 1 on this guy, or Tiger Woods, 50 to 1, whatever that price is, it, it might catch your eye, but I would steer away from those bets and putting a lot of your of your money there because for the most part, only one guy can win. So that means of the 88 golfers, and most of them have zero win equity at all, there's really only, I would say, 15, 20, maybe 30 guys that have a realistic shot of winning this tournament. And so what I look to is more the top 10, top 20 finishers. I also really like the head-to-head matchups. You can pair one golfer up against another golfer, which golfer will have the better score. And that allows you to really focus in on a couple of different guys. And that's usually what I recommend. It's cool. Of course, it's fun to throw a few smaller bets on, on some of the maybe longer shots to win just in case one of them goes nuts. But for the most part, I would allocate your bankroll elsewhere as you get ready for the tournament. Jared, just because I, I have to ask it whenever we have somebody that knows about golf that follows it closely or at least follows it from the betting perspective, cars on the table, I'm a big Tiger fan. I'm one of those delusional people that still holds out hope that, hey, maybe some magic is going to happen uh, over at Augusta this weekend. Uh, any bets at all placed by you or your prognostication at all on, on Tiger Woods' outlook, be it a win, be it a top 10, be it a top 20 here? So it's funny. I think the betting public has kind of switched their feelings on Tiger, whereas in his recent form, um, you know, there was a lot of buzz on him to make the cut. That was another bet that was very, uh, uh, very popular last year. But this year, everyone is betting on him to miss the cut. And, and I think people are kind of wise to his, his game right now. It's just it, it's as much as there is a nostalgia to watching him play, especially at Augusta. I do think the betting public is a little bit more educated on where his game really is. And, and I, I mean, my age group, I'm 37. I grew up, I was 10 years old when Tiger won his first major. That's what really got me interested in golf playing. And I understand that there's a lot of people that want to see him do well, but I, I also think it's, it's unrealistic to think that he has an, a legit chance of even really competing in this tournament. I think the ceiling for him is making the cut. And I think you're, you know, using a, a, a wasted bet if you're really betting on him to win the tournament. I didn't know you could even do this. This is crazy. You could go hole by hole. Oh, yeah. And you could just pick one of the three guys and just say, oh, man, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, Sandy Lyle on hole three. He's definitely at 205. Give me that all day. Two to one. Let's go. Yeah. What's the most degenerate yeah. bet that you've made on the Masters, Jared? That's a good one. Um, I think the first round leader bets are my favorite. I, I think if you asked me if I could throw being smart and profitable and sharp out the window and I can just kind of revert back to my college betting days where I'm just throwing stuff against the wall, throwing darts <laughs> and hope that and hope I, I, I come up, uh, you know, lucky here, come up snake eyes. I, I think first round leader bets have become that wager because you get a lot of guys that can do it for 18 holes, but then the pressure of the Masters on the weekend takes over and they just can't finish it. But first-round leaders, a lot of times, too, the, the, the favorites, the guys at the top of the board, don't feel that urgency right away. They just want to make the cut, get to the weekend, and then they'll let their experience and their, and their, and their knowledge of the course kind of win out. So you get kind of this weird dichotomy where there, do, there are a lot of long-shot 
guys that can lead for 18 holes that you can get really fun prices on. I haven't bet any of them yet. Actually, it's funny. This is in the next like six to eight hours. I'll start locking in all of my action. I only have a couple of bets played so far, but I'll, I'll start getting the, the, the bankroll and the, the portfolio squared away after this. But those are bets that will definitely be on my card. I usually pick four or five guys, most of them, you know, a little bit further down on the board. And I like to have fun with those first round leader bets. Jared, you mentioned when explaining how to bet the Masters or the area to kind of attack that realistically sometimes people like to fall in love with big odds, but in reality there's only about 10, 15, 20 guys. I'm not going to make you rattle off 20 names, and I know you said you haven't locked off bets yet, but if you're taking maybe three golfers you really like to win this thing, who's in your wheelhouse right now of bets you're likely to place to win it all? I'll give you four guys that I think are going to be in the conversation this week. I'll start with my personal favorite. A lot of, so I have a lot of very close um, betting friends that are much better at betting golf than me. And I give them a lot of credit for a lot of this data. Um, But I do personally really like Max Homa. Um, He has been a strong, strong uh, start to this year. Um, And recent form has been fantastic. And usually what I like to do is, um, I got, the, the Masters is, is, is a unique event. It's the only major that's held at the same place every year. So debutantes, guys playing in the Masters for the first time, rookies don't tend to do well. Um, in fact, we've only had two winners in the last 20 that have won it before their second time. And the only guys that have won it their second time were Spieth, um, and I believe, oh, Danny Willett was the other one. So it's rare for a newcomer, a guy that's relatively up and coming to, to win this event. So I like to pick guys that have played here before, that have played well here before, and that have some experience. Max Holmes definitely won, and he's been fantastic. He just won at Torrey Pines a few weeks ago. He's really good recent form lately. Jason Day is another one that has been playing really well lately. Four straight top ten finishes. Tony Finau has been near the top of the board at almost every major he's played in, um, but he just can't win it. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't be a guy that I'd probably bet to win, but he's a top 10 kind of bet. Um, and then Sungjae Im has been very consistent this year, and he finished second and, and eighth over his last two Masters, um, mixed in between a mixed cut there. So second in 2020, mixed cut 2021, and an eighth last year. So he's had some, some really good run at Augusta, too. And those four guys are kind of off the, the favorites role. They're not in the top half, I would say, of, of, that, of that top 10 or top five. But those are guys that I think do have a little bit of value based on their recent form and maybe uh, their experience at Augusta. He's Jared Smith, Fox Sports Radio betting analyst, joining us here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. How about baseball? Now that it's in full swing, no pun intended. I'm not trying to be cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, any value you see in baseball betting? Are you indulging right now, Jared? The overs. I mean, these new rules are the offenses have been humming. Um, I don't like betting full game baseball wagers because I don't trust bullpens. I don't like handicapping bullpens. I have never had a feel or, frankly, the time to really invest in the bullpens. And if you're going to bet a nine-inning baseball game, you better know what's happening with the bullpens. I like to bet on the starting pitchers, whether that's strikeout props, walk props, out props, or first inning, first three, maybe first five inning bets. 
the no run first inning, yes run first innings have become kind of my niche. It's a very popular bet. If you've been betting baseball for a year or two, you've probably heard of them. That market has been fascinating because a lot of people like to bet the no run first inning. They think to themselves, oh, six outs. It can be top of the first, bottom of the first, bing, bang, boom, you're in. But it's actually the yes run first innings that are quote unquote better bets. And they've been doing really well this year because of the impact uh, of the new rule changes with scoring. If you can find stolen base props anywhere in the market, I know in Indiana, there's a lot of um, opportunities for that. I would absolutely be betting stolen base props. The stolen base rates are through the roof. And there's some good websites that track how the pitchers do with allowing stolen bases. That is another huge part of the equation. But I like to bet a lot of props in baseball because I just don't see as much value with the full game bets because of the uncertainty of the bullpen. Jared Smith of Fox Sports, nice enough to take some time with us. Jared, I want to pivot to the hardwood for a second. We are just a couple days away from the play-in and then ultimately playoffs of the NBA. Wondering if you have any futures tickets you're currently holding on to right now and if you plan on playing any of those or anything you're really looking forward to on the NBA side of things as we get into that play-in slash playoffs window. It's a good question. I think... So the NBA, and Brian and I have gone back and forth about this many times, it's a tough game-to-game in the regular season. And I sadly don't have the time, or frankly, it's not my favorite sport to bet during the regular season, but that does change a lot during the postseason. I think you see that bump in teams caring and and really putting their, their best foot forward with their rosters and their defense, and that's where things get interesting. I think my favorite market in the NBA playoffs and I'm sure we'll touch on this a lot during during April and May, the series prices. For example, let's say Phoenix and Denver are playing in a seven-game series. The handicap of that series, like you might get Phoenix plus one-and-a-half games for the series. It'll probably not be that price, but I'm just giving you an example. Yeah. Or like let's say Memphis minus one and a half games against Sacramento in the in the division, you know, in the in the second round. Whatever. Those prices tend to have a little more value to me because you eliminate the variance of a one game scenario and you can bet on the whole series. And I think that is something I will absolutely be um, looking at really strongly once we get to the playoffs. We see what the bracket looks like, et cetera, et cetera. So no futures price, no, no, no futures bets now. But I'm getting to that point where once those series prices become available, that's the first place that I usually look. Are you looking at any particular teams right now before the seeds are set in stone that you like without knowing the matchups, or is it a little bit too early for that? I mean. It, I'd love to see Phoenix continue to drop in the standings because I think when they get KD and, and they're at full strength with that with that lineup, that's a lineup that I want in a seven-game series. Um, I don't see a team like Denver um, winning it all. I don't see a team like Memphis winning it all, and I don't see a team like Sacramento winning it all. So when you look at the Western Conference standings right now, I can poke holes in those top three seeds. And I know, Brian, you have a very different opinion on Denver, and I think that's going to be a very interesting dynamic in the postseason because of how good of a regular season they've had, Jokic and all the numbers, but does that translate to postseason success? Meanwhile, you've got teams like Phoenix, Golden State, and the Clippers that are in those four, five, and six spots that have had a little more postseason success, but their standings are lower this year. So I'm curious to see if those teams that maybe are finishing, like kind of Mariano Rivera closer-like teams, if that 
level and quality improves in the postseason. And if a team like Golden State or Phoenix or the Clippers really that have kind of been hovering all year can elevate, those are the teams I would say in the West that that, that are intriguing. In the East, how is it not Milwaukee and Boston in the East final? Again, I, I, it has to be, right? Like to me, that's the only end game. Um, and I don't know which team is better. I think that's going to be a fun series. Hey, Jared, good stuff, man. Really appreciate the time. Hope you enjoy the Masters and uh, catch up with you soon, bud. Yeah, but I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, there he is, Jared Smith, Fox Sports Radio betting analyst, breaking it all down. How about that? Seamlessly, from the Masters to MLB to NBA, covered a lot there. A little bit of Russian table tennis as well, you know? Yeah, I'll put the hand up. I, I placed a wager or two and then oh, learned nice. quickly that it was a dark place to be a part of, so <laughs> I, I, I did not dabble any further. Uh, the one that obviously you couldn't bet on it for two reasons. One, it was taped archives that had already happened. They weren't live oh, because of closed gosh. quarters. But, like, there was a time where I just remember being at a, a restaurant or maybe eating takeout, whatever the case may be, and looking up and ESPN to fill programming has like the cornhole world championships from like 2019. Oh, yeah. I'm like, man, I, I get behind that. He's trying to get some bags on the board. Let's go. There was it was a dark time. It was a dark time. It was a rough time. By the way, do you go niche or niche? What do you do? I usually go niche. Niche. I've always gone niche myself. Uh, Jared Smith just went niche as well. I, like I, I view a, it in that same way of I'm not going to give you a weird look. Like it's not like. Like it's tomato, tomato type of thing, right? It's it's uh, I can get behind. It. So you okay. give me a weird look if I said niche. That one, that one would get a weird look because like I've I've never heard it said that way before. I've heard niche and I've heard niche. Yeah, okay. Let's do a quick tale of the tape scenario or scenario, like my dad says. What do you say? Uh, if I'm being funny or over the top, scenario in an everyday oh. conversation, scenario. Oh, so you, you dabble I'll slip with it up. If, I, if I'm feeling a little, if I'm feeling a little fancy, then yeah. All right, here's a scenario, gents. Like, yeah, maybe I'll drop that, but otherwise, no scenario for the most part. Okay, I go scenario myself via via. Which via. you go with via email? Yeah, I go via. Yeah, Eddie, what do you do? You uh, I am via via. Yeah, yeah, and I am scenario. Are you a team smorgasbord or smorgasbord? I've realized I said it smorgasbord and didn't know there was another way to say it. So uh, that was a little close to my heart in terms of sensitivity. Didn't realize that I was maybe saying it wrong the whole time. So I don't know. Maybe I'm on an island there, but I've said smorgasbord the entirety of my existence. That is not readily in my lingo, but if I did use it in my in a conversation, I'd probably say smorgasbord. Yeah, I'd go no H. I go smorgasbord myself. By the way, uh, if we go back to the Masters... I'm anti-Brooks Kepka, You know, I'm thinking like Jared Smith was talking about head-to-head matchups. I, You know, I got to be careful because I don't want to bet with my heart. You can get into trouble that way. But um, sometimes I'll bet with hate. Same thing, right? Like your emotions. But Brooks Kepka, this is the reason that I dislike Brooks Kepka. Him talking about just being a slacker. Check this out. I just practiced before the majors. Regular tournaments, I don't practice. When... If you see me on TV, that's when I play golf. <laughs> yeah, from that moment on, I root against Brooks Kepka with every fiber of my being. I hate that. Like, he's such a talented guy. And he's like, yeah, I don't practice. I'm just going to show up. And no wonder he's stunk lately over here, huh? <laughs> What's Brooks Kepka done lately? What's up with this guy? Who does he think he is? Yeah, Freaking guy. Oh, that drives me crazy. I'll tell you what, as we get to the NFL draft, this is a big thing, though, Jimmy, is we're always 
any position, but especially quarterbacks, like how much time do they put in? How much do they want it? There's an epic picture of Peyton Manning when he was with the Broncos, and he's in like the whirlpool. He's soaking his foot, and he's got his helmet on and a tablet as he's studying for the next opponent. <laughs> like that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. How dedicated are you? How much of a psycho are you? Or are you just willing to kind of coast by on your talent and work every other day or every third day? Like you're not going to be special if that's your work ethic. And if for some reason you aren't and you do just rest on your talent and you don't work, don't tell me. Don't yeah. have the arrogance to let me know. And not even one-on-one, but in front of the press corps. Like, ah, you know, it's, if it's not not the bright lights, I'm not practicing at all. I don't really need to. Don't don't tell me that, please. Yeah, no, not a good look by Brooks. Let me find out about Kepka. an elite contract negotiation like you're playing Call of Duty all the time. Let me find out about it that way. Don't publicly tell me, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just hanging out and having a couple beers and just enjoying a Wednesday when I could be getting in some extra reps. Yeah, don't by tell the me way. That. How about my April 5th Brewers? Okay, that's how I always say it. Like in betting, you're a fan for a day that you have a bet on that team. So my April 5th Brewers, they have gone for four runs in the second inning. Huh? How about that? They were down one nothing. Now they're up 4-1. They've oh, exploded. Peterson lost the strikes on there. He he walked three batters. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like that over is looking, looking uh, interesting, it's folks. looking pretty good for you right there. Over eight, it pays to not listen exactly. to Eddie, apparently. Exactly. Is what, I listened wow. to half, and then I just got in my feelings. I was, yeah. I was being torn down by all these facts and stats. Well, I didn't say anything about the under. I just said I would lean more towards the Mets. Right, but to yeah. Brian's point, what I missed was you gave a lot of reasons as to why you didn't expect a high volume of offense yeah. from the Brewers department. I totally disregarded that and took yeah. the over instead. Eddie went into this whole thing, and it was very well reasoned it about was. how they struggled against left-handed pitching last season and don't expect a whole lot of runs. And then you, Jimmy, you burst onto the scene, and you're like, hey, guys, I took the over eight in this game. And we're like, wow, you didn't catch anything. <laughs> to, be, that to, be, to be clear, that's a gross misrepresentation. The first thing I said was, you know what, Eddie? I'm backing off now. I'm off of the Brewers. You've convinced me, but only enough to listen to part of what you said. I'm taking an <laughs> offensive fest. And I didn't elaborate because you called me on it right away, rightfully so. But to Jared's point, there have been an increase in offensive flow, particularly in the over department across MLB right now, to the point that if you're an over-unders guy, it, it, you're better off betting overs right now, in my mind anyway. And well, the funny part is, is this offense – Jump started with uh, two guys that are sub 200 career versus lefties. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Like, welcome to betting. Sometimes exactly. betting makes zero sense whatsoever. You do all this in-depth analysis and betting's just like, yeah, on this particular day, none of that matters. Yep. It's maddening sometimes. But, hey, I've got some funny audio for you guys here. I thought this was entertaining. So uh, LeBron James last night had a game-winning shot in overtime against the Utah Jazz. So he's sitting at his locker doing his post-game interview, and his teammates are making goat noises. Okay? Oh, like, obviously man. getting things wrong because Michael Jordan's the goat. But whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, yeah, we digress. Yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, so they're making goat noises for supposedly the greatest of all time. But it's very funny audio. Check this out. You can make shots offensive. You got to be able to get stops down the stretch, you know, especially when you're uh, playing against teams like this morning. So uh, we had to get stops, and we did that. <laughs> How great is that? I love that. I think that's hilarious. And he stayed, he was locked in. He was yep. like, guys, I'm locked in right here. You know, yep. this is almost playoff time. And you know what? Real fast while we're talking about that, the Lakers. So 
and this isn't just a Lakers thing. This is a league-wide load management thing. So both LeBron and Anthony Davis are questionable tonight. It's the second night of a back-to-back. They play the Clippers. Both the Lakers and Clippers have the same exact record. They're battling it out for the sixth spot to avoid the play-in tournament. And you're saying LeBron and AD are questionable right now? Are you serious? Like I, I know they've both been banged up. I get that. But what, Jimmy Cook, is the lesser of two evils? Either playing tonight on the second night of a back-to-back, hopefully winning the game. That clearly gives you a much better chance if you're the Lake Show. Avoiding the play-in altogether, where you don't have to play a game, maybe two games, playoff intensity to scratch your way into the playoffs. It's much better to play tonight. Let's be. I totally agree with you. And to back all that up, let's be clear on a couple of things. It, regardless if you're like a, a Lakers fan or if you were a Lakers like futures holder, like, hey, you know, maybe if everybody's healthy, they can make some noise here, maybe make a run to the finals, maybe win the whole thing. Maybe, maybe you're in that camp. It doesn't matter to me if the injury risks are present for LeBron James or Anthony Davis, whether they're playing in the play-in or whether they're playing on the second night of a back-to-back the risk-reward is too great to assure that you're not having to, A, deal with the gauntlet of just chaos that is the play-in tournament, and B, you're getting a little bit extra rest if you're able to lock in that sixth spot. I understand you're up against the Kings, who for a time have looked like one of the best teams in the NBA this season, but I would take that matchup versus having to go through the play-in. You're going to have to log extra minutes there yeah. and then be further banged up for your matchup against, what would it be, either the Grizzlies or the Nuggets? Yeah, it's, I don't know. Play man. them both. We, I get One of my friends calls Anthony Davis Bambi Legs, which is a great nickname. <laughs> he looks like awesome. newborn legs out there sometimes, and I know he's been banged up. And LeBron has been banged up, had that foot injury out for 13 games. But he did go to the LeBron James of feet. You know, he did do that. So he should be good to go. I, it's just, have we gotten so soft where no t- – it's like, this is so risky playing a second straight night in a row. Come on. Look, what if are it we was doing? in January, I'd be fine. This is playoff time. It's it, it's fully at stake. Uh, I think Kendrick Perkins said it yesterday. It's playoff basketball the rest of the way. If you're in the Lakers camp, they both should play tonight. Let's get it one more time with the goat noises, though, just to bookend it. You can make shots offensive. You got to be able to get stops down the stretch, you know, especially when you're uh, playing against teams that have been scoring. So, uh, we had to get stops. And we did that. <laughs> that. That is hilarious. All right, coming up next. Uh oh. Wait, hold on a second. Eddie's, uh, Eddie's Mets are making a little bit of noise. They just scored. Maybe I've. I threw up the pom-poms a little bit too early in the second (laughs) inning right there. Coming up next, Josh Weinfuss. What does he do? He covers the Arizona Cardinals for The Athletic. Does a great job. Why are we talking to him? Well, there's a little thing called the NFL Draft. Do the Colts make a move to number three overall? What's the scene over there in Arizona? What are we expecting here? So let's talk to Josh right around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Bad news, the Mets have tied it up. Not good for my uh, my bet. Good news for Jimmy's bet. He's got the over eight. Throw. 
I still got the brew crew. Hopefully they pull it out. But good news right now. Joined by Josh Weinfuss. He covers the Arizona Cardinals for ESPN.com. Joining us here on the fan. Josh, hope everything's good, man. Of course, here in Indy, we're concerned about the Colts at number four. So we thought bringing you on with the Arizona Cardinals at number three would be a good thing. What do you think the odds are that the Colts do move up and make a trade for that number three pick with the Cardinals? Odds, I don't know, but um, here's what's all going to come down to. Who else needs a quarterback? Because the Cardinals don't need a quarterback, right? So the, the Colts aren't concerned that Arizona is going to scoop up their guy. They're concerned that someone behind them is going to offer Arizona a sweeter deal to jump into three, right? So that's all, that's all that matters to, 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 to the Colts right now. So I can see Arizona, if the deal is right, trading back simply because especially especially if the Colts want to give them a future first round pick, which is probably what it's going to take, right? Like they're not just going to take a couple of fifth and sixth round picks if someone else is coming in hot with a heavier deal. So if the Colts want to move up, they're going to have to come, you know, with a pretty significant offer and then they can go up and get their quarterback at three. But you know, if, if that's the case, then I bet you Arizona does it. Josh, on the other side of the coin, barring a trade, up from another team and the Cardinals obviously subsequently trading back. What's been at the top of their radar for this process of evaluating who they might take if they stay there uh, at three? Yeah, they, they have a couple of key positions. You know, if the right um, pass rusher is there, a guy, you know, uh, up front on defense, then they'll probably be um, an option. They need um, some young offensive line talent, someone they can build around in the future. Um, and that's a possibility. You know, even if, you know, uh, this is this is a huge stretch, but I really like the kid, the wide receiver from TCU. You know, who knows what's going to happen with DeAndre Hopkins in the long run, but they need a future number one. He could be a good option. I don't know if he'll go as high as four. But, you know, there are options there for Arizona to build out positions of need, and that's kind of where I would go with my three. And even, you know what, let's, let's, let's add on one more. They need a cornerback. If there's a really good cornerback that they believe in who could be kind of the foundational piece for the future, that could be an option of three as well. What would you say is ideal for the Cardinals if they're trading the number three pick? Would it be a deal with the Colts where you move down to four, you get the top, defensive choice that you have but you get less draft equity in return or would it be to move further down say a team like the Raiders you move down to seven you don't get the top defensive choice most likely but you get more draft equity what do you think is ideal for the cards I think more draft equity is kind of is probably the best move in my opinion because you have a new coach new GM you have more than half your roster as, as free agents. Like, you need to do a major rebuild here, right? Like, especially if they either trade DeAndre Hopkins or they release him as a post-June 1st designation and save about $19 million in cap space. Like, if that happens, the rebuild is fully on. If that doesn't happen, that is kind of on, but you still need, you still need help. So if I'm the Cardinals, I would probably go, you know, for more draft equity this year and next year, maybe the year after. Just try to build this team – from the from through the draft because obviously we all know like you get those guys their rookie deals they're a lot cheaper you can do more with them so I think that more the more picks the better for this team right now. Josh Weinfuss with us covers the Cardinals for ESPN.com. Josh, we, we talked a lot uh, in terms of covering the Colts of what this next quarterback is going to look like, assuming they end up drafting one, and the, the the strenuous process of if the quarterback is actually the right guy over a three to four to five year period. 
there's been all the talks the last two off seasons about the extension the Cardinals gave to Kyler Murray. They obviously placed the blame on Cliff Kingsbury. They obviously uh, cleared out the front office as well. Uh, where are expectations for Kyler Murray? I know he's going through rehab right now. But where are expectations for him within the Cardinals organization this season? Yeah, I mean, he'll come back at some point. We don't know when. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses the whole year. Um, but, you know, the expectation is he comes back and he's back to that Pro Bowl type of level quarterback. He's the face of the franchise. There's no, un, you know, there's no denying that. They gave him a quarter of a billion dollar contract at, you know, the max value, 105 guaranteed, 160 for injury. Like, they invested a ton of money into this kid. So the expectation is he brings him back to the playoffs. He is a top-tier talent, maybe an MVP caliber, and eventually, you know, I think obviously the end goal is to win a Super Bowl. Will that happen? I don't know, but I think he's talented enough to take a team there. He just needs some more molding, right? He needs molding uh, football-wise, probably emotionally, um, you know, maturity. Like, all that stuff needs to be molded into an elite quarterback level, and I think that they could get there, right? I think he's he's that type of player. There's so much said about him by outsiders who – Probably never talked to him in his life about how he's you know he's going to be a bust. He's not this. He's not that. Like he, he needs to grow up a little bit. There's no doubting it, right? Like I see, I've watched the kid every day of the season for the last four years. But he's an immense talent, and if you can harness all of that together, and you can you have probably one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. Will he get there? I don't know. Could he? Yes. Um, but I think what's interesting about quarterbacks these days is, and you know, he experiences like. Teams want to win now. Teams aren't patient anymore. Like, the Cardinals started him from day one. I'm sure the Colts are probably going to start their guy from day one. But the other thing I've noticed, and we saw this in Arizona with Josh Rosen a few years ago, is that teams are also very quick to move on from guys. I think that is a trend that needs to change. I think that teams need to be patient. Guys, I mean, you guys saw with Peyton Manning when he was a rookie. He threw however many interceptions was a rookie record. Turned out pretty good, right? Like, if that was now, he'd be on the market or he'd be benched or he'd be cut by year two in the middle of the year, right? It'd be unbelievable if that happened right now. Teams just need to be patient, and I, I don't see, I don't think you see enough of that anymore. He's Josh Weinfuss, covers the Arizona Cardinals for ESPN.com, joining us here on The Fan. Can you just let us know where the story stands right now? The allegations from Cardinals exec Terry McDonough about uh, ownership and circumventing and GM suspension. What's going on here, Josh? Yeah, it's, this, is, this is not going to go away anytime soon. It's going to be very complex for a while. Um, you know, everyone saw the story. Um, and then the, the rebuttal from the Cardinals and, and, and their, their response. Um, it's, um, how do I describe it? It's, 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 it's ugly. I think both sides um, levied some serious allegations, whether Terry McDonough's cheating or the Cardinals saying that Terry McDonough was dealing with some domestic violence um, allegations. I think that is some serious stuff. I think there are some probably low blows on, from both sides. Um, but this is something that we're going to hear about for a long time. It's not going to be able to be swept under the rug. I'm sure that there, you know, there's going to be some legal ramifications. There's definitely going to be some league-wide ramifications, um, personnel ramifications. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to get a lot uglier before it gets, gets prettier. Josh, when you look at the prospects available, obviously the Cardinals are not in the market for a quarterback. But when you look at that never-ending conversation about Levis or Richardson, assuming those are quarterbacks three and four off the board, do you have a lean or a preference one or the other of which one you think pans out better in a market like Indianapolis or in Las Vegas if the Raiders trip or trade up? 
So I'll be 100% honest with you guys. I spent exactly zero minutes studying. <laughs> the I, I haven't needed to, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they yep. You know, and this is this is like the first year and since I've been covering the team where the quarterback hasn't, I guess, not first year since they drafted Kyler. Yep. But, you know, quarterback hasn't been a draft topic here. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think both guys are good. Uh, if I had to pick one right now with the little information that I have, I really like Richardson. I think he's the type of quarterback that, that can lead a team. I don't know a ton about what it, Will Levis. Like, I mean, I, I went to Indiana, so I didn't really watch Kentucky because that's a school yeah. down south we don't really pay attention to. Yep. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about them, but I would say, you know, I think both guys are probably good. Um, and I think both guys are probably good for each market, right? And they're not huge markets. They're guys that – can come in, probably you know, get better with reps. And this goes back to what I said earlier. If teams are patient, guys will develop, right? You, and you got to give them the, the right coaching, not force a ton onto them. Let them come on at their pace, maybe change your scheme a little bit to what they can do instead of fitting them into what you're doing. Um, and then, you know, you go from there. I think that, you know, the, the Colts got a really good offensive-minded head coach. The Raiders have an offensive-minded coach. Is he really good? I don't know. We've seen kind of how he's done with quarterbacks in the past. Um, so, I don't know. I think, I think either one would be probably fine. Josh, I think you just summed up the draft. Is <laughs> Depending on which market you're in, what team you root for, what position you need, you have been watching that with an eagle eye. But if you don't need a particular position, it's like, I don't know. I saw him in passing here and there. I don't really know, right? That's how it goes. 100%. Like, I'm not going to waste my time like reviewing these quarterbacks and talking about them with people because – the I'm, the odds of me writing about one next season is zero, right? Like I'm not going to be. They're not going to draft the quarterback at three. They're not going to draft the a quarterback if they trade down. So why waste my time? Why waste other people's time? Like you, you know, especially when when life is so busy, you invest your time into things that you need to invest it in, and it's not a quarterback. Yeah, hey man, I hear you. Well, hey Josh, good stuff today, man. Hope to catch up with you uh, down the road, but uh, good stuff, man. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. There he is, Josh Weinfuss, covers the Arizona Cardinals for ESPN.com. I think that's an interesting question, Jimmy. If you are the cards at number three, so this is tied to the Colts, obviously. If you're the cards, are you hoping for a trade with the Colts? You move down one spot, and you could get Will Anderson Jr., Jalen Carter, whatever defensive player you want. You're guaranteed to get him at number four, right? But you get less draft capital in return to just move down from three to four. But if you move down from three to, say, seven with the Raiders, you get more draft capital, but you don't get that top defensive choice, most likely. Like, I think that's really interesting. It really just depends on how heavily or how highly you have either Jalen Carter or Will Anderson Jr. rated versus the draft capital you would get. If you have, let's just say, Will Anderson Jr., you have him rated off the freaking charts, well, then you're hoping for a trade with the Colts. If you don't have one of the top defensive players rated off the charts, then you're hoping for a trade lower with a team like the Raiders or somebody else. I'd be pulling for a team with the Raiders or somebody lower. And the reason I bring up the Raiders is because, and maybe it's the Chiefs fan in me, I don't know, but I expect another rough 
rough season in Las Vegas next year, even with Jimmy Garoppolo there to try to clean up where they're at. I think they're kind of in that same one to seven range next offseason as they are mm. this year. And yeah. when you look at where the Panthers are going to be, or sorry, excuse me, look at where the Cardinals are going to be next year, assuming Kyler Murray isn't able to get on the field. And if he does get on the field by that point, the Cardinals are so far back within the playoff hunt that they're in the same spot as well. That's two first round picks you're armed with. That's two bites of the apple next year. I would rather have the richer prize versus the second or the richer prize of draft capital versus the second or third round pick plus moving back to ensure I get a defensive stud like Will Anderson Jr. Man, it's interesting because wow, I think about you go back to the the Chase Young draft. Remember when the now Washington Commanders drafted Chase Young yep. number 2 overall? Yep. And it was a similar conversation. And I remember Ron Rivera saying, "Look, man, draft picks are nice, but if you get a total game changer at number two, that might be you might be better off getting a guy like Chase Young. And when Chase Young's been healthy, he has been a big difference maker. Mm-hmm. The problem is he hasn't been healthy that, yeah. a ton. But the concept is what I'm really focusing in on here, where I hear you. If you made a move with, um, say, the Raiders and got more draft capital, yeah, if you hit on those picks, that might be the better way to go. If you make a deal with the Colts, and you hit on, say, Will Anderson Jr. is just a phenom in the NFL. You don't get as much draft capital in return, but your main choice is a freaking stud. You can be better off that way, too. I think it's really interesting, two different streets and how they can really differ from each other. You know, it's a fascinating conversation, and and there's not really a right answer there because at the end of the day, it comes down to the success factor within your organization, how they build around everybody else. I mean, if you had the opportunity to go get a game record on the defensive end, like Will Anderson Jr., you're going to sign that up long-term because if you have Kyler Murray, let's just say for the sake of argument, turn up, have a cornerstone moment within his career, and he's now a top 10 quarterback, let's say, in the NFL, you would like to have that piece solidified on the defensive end. Like, I, I totally get that side of it. I guess, I don't know, may, maybe I get too too maddeny, too, too pick excited about having more draft capital in the future, but those are two just fascinating ideologies of what goes into a general manager's thought process. Can we just put one thing to bed, though? Maybe. You know, is... Uh... He mentioned Kyler Murray. Could he be a top three quarterback in the NFL? And he said, yeah, I would like to firmly disagree with that. <laughs> Kyler Murray has zero chance to be a top three quarterback in the NFL. He could be a top 10 guy. Yeah. He could be in the, you know, he could be in the vicinity, maybe ceiling of a top five guy. Top three? Dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to put that to bed because you're pushing out, let's just say, sake of argument. You're pushing out one of Mahomes, Allen, or Burrow, and I don't see him doing that. No. Well, and the other thing I was thinking too, like you've got DeAndre Hopkins, you've got one of the best receivers in football. It's not like you're surrounded by nothing. He's surrounded by good talent over there yeah. too. And that's the other, you know. And that's why I thought too. Last thing, real fast, and we'll get to the bets here. What we really need to get to. Um, <laughs> Uh, we needed to have Bill O'Brien be employed by the Arizona Cardinals because I just thought about, remember when DeAndre Hopkins got traded from the Houston Texans when Bill O'Brien was the head coach and the Texans got David Johnson back, the running back? I I do recall that, yeah. That's what we need for the Colts. We needed Bill O'Brien over there in Arizona where let's just say the Colts move up from four to three and it costs them a second and a third, but... 
they get DeAndre Hopkins in return, right? That would be a pretty sweet deal. Too bad Bill O'Brien isn't there with the Arizona Cardinals right now. Look, it didn't feel much better for Colts fans because of how still poor the club was during that span of time. But I will tell you this, in terms of where they're at right now from a, or looking back at that time, it was easy to laugh at the Texans during that square, that, that stretch of time. That was a brutal, brutal trade from them, from that, from their standpoint, to get a, an aging running back for DeAndre Hopkins. What? Anyway, ancient history. Okay, we've got some good betting stories for you around the corner, and we've got some hopefully good Jay Cook betting selections as well. That's on the way. We close it down in style. I'm Brian. No, he's Jimmy Cook. It's ninety three five and one zero seven five. The fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. How about this? Uh, a guy made $2.6 million thanks to the Yukon Huskies winning the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. So he had four separate bets, Jimmy. He had UConn being the outright winner of March Madness, and he tied it to four different NFL bets. One of them was the under of the NFC Championship game, the Niners and Eagles, where Brock Purdy got hurt, so that cashed. And he had three separate bets on your Chiefs. He had them money line against the Eagles, had them plus a point and a half, and plus three and a half points. He cashed on all that. He laid 40000 won $2.6 million. Reminds me of the guy that had a big parlay going and needed France to win the World Cup. He cashed out, though, for like $700,000 instead. France lost, so he made the right decision. Oh, right decision right there. Let's get to your bets, shall we? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Games today in the NBA and the MLB. Going to lay the three on the Boston Celtics as they host the Toronto Raptors tonight in baseball. Going to take the Seattle Mariners on the money line plus 145 juice there against the Los Angeles Angels. This one just in the tanks show. Going to take the Knicks minus 180 on the money line against the Pacers. That's mainly for emotional purposes. Quick Masters bets. Xander <laughs> Shoffley, Tony Finau, Will Zalatoris sprinkling them to win outright. Give me the Angels. Otani on the mound. All righty. Oh, nice. I like that. Give me the Brew Crew. In your face, Eddie. (laughs) In game, minus 115. Huh? We'll see how it goes. JMV coming up next. Enjoy it. We'll catch you soon.